Hey everyone, your host Caleb Masters here. I'm just dropping in to give you a quick disclaimer that there are some spoilers for Ari Aster's first two films, that is 2018's Hereditary and 2019's Midsummer, that do come up during the spoiler-free review of Bo is Afraid. So if you have not watched either of those movies or you're worried about spoilers, maybe just come back after you've watched those films. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Everyone and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're all in the missing keys-induced anxious panic together. If you're not there yet, don't worry. By the time you get to the end of the review, you will be. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that is right. We are reviewing Ari Aster's new film, Bo is Afraid. We're going to start with an icebreaker question, as we always do, before jumping into a spoiler-free review, where we'll also provide a verdict on the film, and then we'll conclude the conversation with an in-depth spoiler discussion. And what I'll say is we'll probably spend the majority of the time in the spoiler discussion, because there's just so much to unpack in this movie. Joining me today, as always, he's my co-host and an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, LaRon Chapman. LaRon, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Are you afraid? I am always afraid. I live in fear, a state of fear, <laughs> but um, I'm happy to be here. The roof might cave in during this podcast. Oh, yeah. I've already imagined every scenario okay. of the four of you mugging me before I go to my car. Yeah. So it's all it's all there. <laughs> okay. This is just normal for me. This movie was a comedy for me. I'm sorry about the naked dude out front with the knife. That was fine. I was fine with that. That was fine. <laughs> He's been there for a few days. It wasn't yeah. that. Also, very excited to welcome back a special guest. He's an Oklahoma City Council person, recently reelected. Congratulations. Uh, an OCU English and Modern Languages artist in residence and film professor, James Cooper. Welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic, sir. Hi, thanks. Happy to be here. Are you afraid? Oh, I just have anxiety and depression, just generally. So that's afraid adjacent. <laughs> Very, very relevant to this film. And last, but certainly not least, I'm super excited to be rejoined by the Cinematropolis contributor, Daniel Bokemper. Daniel, welcome back. Yeah, Caleb, thank you. I'm afraid of a lot of things, but this conversation is not one of them right now. You're Just you wait. Just you wait. Exactly. You haven't <laughs> Ron seen has me very, very scared of the <laughs> no. posters behind us. You haven't seen the runtime of this yet, Daniel. Before we get into today's review of this divisive film, I want to note that if you're listening to the show and you enjoy the conversation, please make sure to support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app. That goes doubly for those of you who listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't done it, maybe you should be afraid. There's a lot of bad things that could happen if you don't. That's not a threat. I'm just saying, you know, what goes around comes around. And I make sure to write and review all my podcasts because I'm just afraid an anvil is going to fall on my head. All right. So we're going to start things off with an icebreaker question. So Bo is Afraid is set in a heightened reality that may or may not be, as it appears, somewhat ambiguous. So I thought we might kick things off by talking about our favorite what is reality movie where you're the movie you're watching you're not sure if it's partially real not real at all or completely played straight Daniel Bokemper I'll start with you 
So this is kind of hard because you've got your bigger films, you know, your Matrixes and your Truman shows and your 12 Monkeys. But then you have like some more quaint films like uh, Shane Carruth's uh, Upstream Color is one I end up thinking a lot about, even though I don't know overall if I like truly like the film, but I do think about it pretty often. But I think the ones that I would cite are two, both from Charlie Kaufman. Uh, I think Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, as well as the more recent, I'm thinking of Ending Things. Um, just two very interesting films that definitely uh, pull apart reality, both for uh, to different ends, but but definitely a great double feature if you just want to not uh, not feel <laughs> great about life and love. I think they're great movies to watch uh, if you were in some sort of fever dream, perhaps. True. It's a great time to watch those movies. So mm-hmm. if you catch COVID, you just turn on the Charlie Kaufman. This movie might put you there, but I was afraid might uh, might prime <laughs> you for it. I don't know. <laughs> LaRon Chapman, what is your favorite What is Reality movie? Um, I also put uh, Charlie Kaufman's two films here. Um, Eternal Sunshine comes to mind the most um, when I was watching this. Um, But I think some more traditional ideas of like just dealing with perception, what's real, what's not. Um, The Father um, and Jacob's Ladder are two movies that also Mm. came to mind where we're in the headspace of the characters, you know, dealing with a traumatic experience and everything we're viewing, we don't know until we know that what we've been viewing is not what what is happening, you know? So um, I think those are two, again, more palatable examples of what this, what things of this film is kind of exploring. Um, but in, in these cases, dealing with PTSD, dealing with um, dementia, you know, all different alters of the mind, so. Great recommendations. I like that we've got an older one and a more recent film. James Cooper, what is your selection? Those are really good choices. <laughs> I just want to affirm you all in those. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. American Psycho. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great one. I, it came immediately to mind. And then I was like, no, I'll make a list. And I was like, no, it came to mind first. Um, I think it's wonderful. I still think... My other choice would be Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you all chose movies, some a couple at least, from like Eternal Sunshine from around that era. I don't know <laughs> what that means for that moment in time. But and I keep seeing lists, I'm sure you all do too, where like Mulholland Drive is like one of the best films mm-hmm. noted of all time. Like mm-hmm. up number one sometimes. Did Sight and Sound say that? Someone said that recently. I can't remember yeah. Yeah. who it was. It's, there. it's consistently in the conversation for one of the greatest yeah. films ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I just think those movies are, are are wonderful. I think it's interesting. They're both in some ways like Wall Street and then Hollywood. So like these constructings of like either wealth or storytelling like movies, you know? So, hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Holland Drive is an excellent choice. Uh, I watched that with my mother. <laughs> How'd that go? Well, uh, she doesn't go to movies with me anymore. But. Okay. Lauren, <laughs> right. are you afraid? Was this was a preview for Bro is Afraid? <laughs> right. My mom loves Mulholland Drive. We watch, she has a title for these sorts of movies. She calls them movies you can't do laundry to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's a very mom answer. And that is yeah. interesting because that's exactly the opposite of what my mom likes. She wants movies that she can go to the bathroom and come back and still know what the hell happened without. And I'm like, yes. so you don't want to watch movies. That is her preference. Yes. But because 
she and I lived together when I was 18, 19, 21, and I was working at Blockbuster. She was in, in film school. Yeah, there she was no just, chance. There was, she was. You were going to, she was done download. Now she doesn't mind these. It's just, you know. Yeah, yeah. She loves Twin Peaks to return. We watched all three seasons together. Oh, that's okay. great. That's fantastic. It's David Lynch. Surely he's done something that's the, oh God, I don't like that movie. What is the movie with Lord? Eraserhead. Oh no. The, the um, one. Well, in, oh, Inland Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. he discovered digital film and yeah. <laughs> that's one of these heightened reality things. Uh, yeah. Man, speaking of which, have you seen that he's been on a war? I mean, he continues to be on a war path about just insulting people who watch movies on their phone. It's great. Lynch is? Yeah. Still? Uh, he's been doing it off and on for years, but I, 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 maybe this is just a slow news day on the internet, but just this morning I saw a fresh story talking about how he was chastising people who watched a movie on their phone. He's like, you didn't watch the movie. It's not designed for your phone. What are you doing with your time? Go watch it on the big screen. Yeah, no, it was just bizarre. He does this every, I feel like this comes out every like, what, year, two years, something. Yeah. I agree with him, but if I'm someplace and that's what but, I'm going to do, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And you're, it's accessibility. Like yeah. you're still, he very much like vehemently denies like that you are even experiencing the film. And I would take umbrage with that. I know it's not the optimal setting, but you can still, yeah. yeah. So would you say if you watch Dunkirk on a Nintendo 3DS, that yeah. <laughs> you, you, yes, a little to some extent. Yeah. It's not black and white. I love how creative people on the internet have gotten at figuring out how to, to port movies into devices. They're definitely not designed like to be watched. Game on. Boy Advance cartridges. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you guys both mentioned Charlie Kaufman. So I'm going to just give a quick shout to one. I like that you haven't already mentioned, which is Anomalisa. I love it. I'm always going to champion stop motion. And I think that one is, Particularly interesting because you kind of get inside the head of how this powerful, well, the seemingly powerful, rich, successful person views other people, which is they're all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really care about them. And uh, frequently throughout the movie, you're not sure who he's talking to actually and what these relationships mean to him. So that one, uh, I mean, I think the reality is a little more established, but the big kind of caveat is every other character who's not him is the same Mm-hmm. character voiced by the same person uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah 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 uh so quick shout out to that one i also have to give a shout out to terry gilliam's brazil oh. love love brazil talking about in the capitalist machine what is reality what is our purpose can we ever escape the reality that has been built for us mm-hmm. um I, I i guess there's what several different cuts but i think the director's the actual director's cut you can get on criterion yes uh is definitely the way to go it really makes a, a world of difference with that film. Hey, watch this. My uh, dear friend Randy, when he went on his little Bo is Afraid Instagram story, you know, review <laughs> today, he mentioned Brazil. Oh, nice. Oh. So, you know, great minds or something. Great minds. You know? uh, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great film that I... Depending I, on who Randy is, but yes. I he's a smart guy. He's, he does the music, the, oh. the metal oh. music, that chat pile stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, and he was thinking about Brazil. Yeah. I just think Brazil is just generally. This is gonna make me sound like a an old man. I'm not. I'm really not. But like, I don't think people talk about Brazil enough. It just in general, no, it's kind of like one of those movies that film. that has has been lost in the sands of time, just because it's hard to yeah. get the actual cut of the film. Yeah, and I mean, I post think it's study. School, no, yeah. speaking of Betty Robbins, um, yeah, post film school. Oh, yeah, she loved 
she loves yeah. our our film professor. Sorry, I say names like people know. You, everyone here listening knows who Betty Randy is. Betty. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Betty. We're all friends here. Dinner parties. Yes. <laughs> film professor at OU. Yeah, that was one of the required screenings, and so that's definitely a film we had to download on quite a bit. So, but post film school, yeah, you, I don't hear many people speak about that. Mm-hmm. I don't even see it like cited in like essays or think mm-hmm. pieces. Yeah. Uh, last one I give a shout out to this one. Ha- this one's seen a little bit of a resurgence in appreciation, or at least it did about 10 years ago. And that is uh, Alex Poyas' Dark City. Oh, yeah. Love it because it's uh, you're, you're meshing together so many different genres and the character himself does not for a good chunk of the film does not understand what reality is. And before you figure out what it is. It's pretty wild. You're like, is this dream reality? Is this the rules of the world he's living in? This is clearly not our reality. It's like a heightened noir reality. Uh, have a lot of fun with that one. Jennifer Connelly, mm-hmm. that era at 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, Rufus Sewell. I've yeah. actually only seen it one time, so I don't. And which cut did you see? That I don't know. Probably just a very basic DVD. Cut. I can lend you. I can lend you the, the copy I will watch you it. see. I will yeah. You should have seen your reaction to Laurent right then. You were just like, oh my God, I have <laughs> strong thoughts. <laughs> I just, Laurent and I frequently are like almost lock sync, and it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he recommends a lot of movies I haven't seen, but it's, you know, it's only a handful of times I'll stumble upon one that I haven't. That yeah. he hasn't seen. And you have seen it. It's just. Yeah, I've seen it, but yeah. I, I, it's definitely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a in it's the a forefront re- of my mind. It's a noir. I just think it's a really brilliant, uh, you know, kind of combination of the sci-fi, the noir, and again, still still sort of interrogating the the levels of power and the hierarchy of power and the influences they have or the control they have over our lives. Can we possibly break free from them? That's one of the things I love about these what is reality movies. It's people coming to terms with the the world they live in, and each movie is sort of in its own way exploring: is it possible for these people? to find a way out. And that leads us to our review of Bo is Afraid. I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. But I wanted a child, the greatest gift of my life. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. It's mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel and I love you. Okay. I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? What do you think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. So according to IMDb, Bo is Afraid is described as following the sudden death of his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic. So a couple of fun facts about this film I want to mention. Firstly, for listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with Ari Aster, this is his third feature film following 2018's Hereditary and 2019's Midsummer. This guy is cranking them out and he's going into production on his next one this summer. Originally, the film was titled Disappointment Boulevard and related Astor, before they renamed the film, had previously described it as a Jewish Lord of the Rings (laughs) and budgeted at thirty five million dollars. This is a 24's most expensive film to date. I think that's a testament to just how much money Astor has made the studio. So Bo is afraid really unique film. Lots to dig into here, but I just want to do quick 
overall thoughts on the film, starting with Laurent Chapman. Yeah, so I think I, I am a fan of, I don't know if it's Ariaster, Ariaster, but you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his work um, because it has, he has vision, you know, and whether I love every detail of every aspect of every movie he makes, there's always something interesting happening. And he's doing, he's, he's taking risks. He's doing things that, you know, that traditional horror movies, you know, he's taking, you know, kind of recontextualizing, you know, things and it always rooted, it's always rooted in some kind of human element, you know, um, hereditary worked so well for me because it, it was rooted in trauma. It was rooted in the fact that this, this is something that's repeating with all of the, the different people in this family. They're all dealing with it in different ways. Um, and, you know, instead of it just being a ghostly figure about possession, you know, that we've seen that movie, it feels more tangible or tactile. Um, and then Midsommar dealing with a horrible breakup who hasn't had one of those. Um, I mean, I didn't go to a Swedish cult, you know, to, you know, get over it. But um, I wish I had. Maybe I'd come out of it better. But are I, you really over it, Laurent? I'm if not over did, it. I'm not over it. Okay. Not I, over I noticed it. that guy you vacationed with last year. I didn't need to burn him alive. Yeah. So, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but no, I, I just I, I appreciate that. You know, um, what we see as a as a horror as horror is being somewhat redefined here. That he's giving us different avenues because I wouldn't even say Bo is afraid is a horror film. Um, there's horrific elements to it. There's tension. It's definitely anxiety inducing, but. Um, it just depends on what you what you define as horror. So, I I this is a film that I I can't really give a perfect a, a score yet because I don't think I truly know how I feel about it yet. You mm -hmm. know, it's something that I think I will know in five years upon a couple more viewings where I stand with it. But it's definitely something that held my attention and made me think. And so that's more than I can say about a lot of movies that I go to see. It's so interesting you, you brought up uh, the question of is it a horror movie? It reminds me, I know when Hereditary came out, there was actually quite a bit of discussion in the horror community about whether Hereditary yeah. was a horror movie, which was kind of bizarre to me because I, I thought the film was terrifying. Yeah, I, uh, I was genuinely scared by it. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I still uh, left an impression. Um, and I, I think I think that's a valid question going into Bo is Afraid because I think the expectation from us as viewers who have seen his previous films is that he's going to make horror, horror movies. movies. This will be another horror movie. Mm -hmm. And this it is, is, and it isn't. Isn't. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. James Cooper, what are your overall thoughts on Bo is Afraid? <sighs> I'm literally looking at Mulholland Drive right now. <laughs> because I just... Okay, hmm, interesting. Um, I was looking at the time, like how long that movie is. Because that's the... That's all like It's one of the... I don't, I'm still, I'm kind of with Laurent. I don't know where I'm landing quite yet with this film, but I can for sure say I think it's too long. Like that, I, I, <laughs> I haven't got to talk to him about it, but I ran in, so two of my friends, we have a horror movie night on Mondays. And so rather than doing that last night, we went to go see this movie, right? Um, and because I had to be here for this Thank you know, you. podcast. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to see this movie. And then, you know, we have city council on Tuesday and then all the after council meetings, there's no <laughs> way I'm going to be able to watch a three hour movie before that podcast. So we've got to do it Monday night. So I go and then I run into some friends, um, there, including this Randy Phil, um, <laughs> and, uh, who I was like, Oh my God, this is great. We get to watch this together. 
So imagine my surprise. We leave this movie when it's all said and done. And Randy, or one of them, I don't remember whose. It was 1030, maybe 11. Um, and one of them was like, it just breezed right by. I didn't feel a bit of that. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Say what you will about this movie. But what do you mean three hours? Went by. Breezed right by. What? So maybe breeze isn't the right word. But, I mean, that he didn't feel it. <clears throat> I just felt it. Like. Yeah. And so I wanted to look up Mulholland Drive, which is two hours and 27 minutes. And I do not. I I even feel like that movie's maybe a little too long. I, I can feel a moment where it's like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, but I also just love that movie. The movie is literally one of my favorite movies of all time. I just think it's incredible. Uh, and I'm not the first person to say it, so it's not like an original thought. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's a problem with this film. Like, and as someone who loves the, uh, what do you call it? New Hollywood. I, I'm very like aware of the excesses of the end of that decade. Right. Like, and the fact that it's male directors, uh, who, uh, you know, straight, uh, generally white, uh, who are like, I'm going to make a five hour apocalypse now. We, you know, like we're going over budget. We're going to, but really it's a metaphor you see for, <laughs> for like, you know, madness and the human heart or whatever it is. That's what my heart of darkness, you know, adaptation is. So, or whatever the movie is of that time. I got those vibes watching this. Like it just, in some ways it just kind of felt a little bloated. Um, uh, as this guy is using all of this different imagery metaphorically to explore his own real life. Like neurosis. I believe I saw like snippets of an interview where he's like, I did this cause I had to work out some mom stuff, you know, yeah, the convert. <laughs> and I was like, really? I didn't get that. This movie? Oh, right. <laughs> what? Where? <And> saw, <laughs> like, prove it, you know? Um, and I had seen that before. I, I haven't read anything about this movie really except that snippet. And I saw that like a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I've read nothing since. I've seen it yesterday. I'm in time because I went to bed pretty late. To the movie? did all this work today. And so this is the first time I got to think about this movie. So I don't know. I, I just, that's kind of the thing that worries me. And maybe I feel like it's a little misogynistic. I haven't decided where I land on that yet. Like all the women in the movie doesn't seem good. <laughs> doesn't seem good. But I laughed a lot. Did y'all not laugh a oh, lot? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, some of it was uncomfortable after, but yeah. definitely laughed. Yeah, a lot. Like it's yeah. funny. It's a funny movie. It's a dark comedy among many other things. Yeah. I was listening to PBS NewsHour on the drive to the theater, and because that's who I am, and it was a segment on the Tucker Carlson he's out, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. And they were just talking about like the Republican party as the sort of the, the base of the party giving way to a Tucker. Like they want to hear that sort of figure and he's feeding it in this way. Did y'all not get those vibes early in the film when Bo is, um, in, in the city, just his fears of like, oh my God, these homeless people are, right. you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. and uh, oh my God, look at the, the punks, they have the, the tattoos. It, I, I definitely got the vibe that um, a less um, savvy viewer 
could very easily mistake this for like the fears that, I mean, people have these fears. They come from somewhere. Yeah. And some people do genuinely believe that this is like what cities are like. Yes. You know? And I just thought it was such a hilarious way to critique that mindset. Like Mm -hmm. that, like truly brilliant way to critique that mindset. It's like, this is what you all, this is, you know what I mean? Like yeah. to be like, this is what you sound like. Yeah. You sound like this. Like, like this is what's going on out there. Yeah. Like the exact right. <laughs> and, and maybe Bo watched a lot of Fox News. Well, <laughs> possibly. I don't know Bo's politics. That's a good thing. I don't. Yeah, it's, really a don't it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's better we don't know. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. The little we see of his like media consumption, it's it's from what I remember. I feel like there's one other television scene, but it's cut short. But like his his media consumption, it's it's fear. It's just like turn it on. Here's a bunch of things to be afraid. Which I that's mean, true. You yeah. know, right? Checks and, out being yeah. Fox, but and he like I don't I, I didn't even catch that. But okay, good. Fear monger. I almost yeah. forgot about that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he so today I had a conversation with someone who will remain nameless because I don't want to like put them on blast for their politics or whatever. But he said to me he was trying to figure out like like how someone could fall for like a Tucker Carlson, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how does that happen? And we were like, yeah, that's a good question. And his response then was like, it's like a cult, right? Like, so then the question is, how does someone who's smart fall for like a Haley's Comet or a Waco or a conspiracy theory in that way? And I think the fact that so much of the politics are removed from the internals of this film, and it gives us this very in exploration of his internal world, his upbringing that like why Bo is afraid, like maybe this exploration helps us understand how someone's upbringing and their, the way guilt and shame work can actually prepare someone for a Tucker Carlson message. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Well, I mean, I mean, Bo throughout the movie is begging to have someone tell him what to do. Yeah. Like yeah. the whole movie. Yeah. He's like, what am, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Like his, he's not been equipped with the tools he needs to be self-sufficient, to take care of himself. And in the way he survived is just by having other people mm-hmm. tell him, this is what you're going to do. And he just does it. Right. So, I mean, I think there's something to that Yeah, when there's, there's this void of like, I, I'm not equipped to handle all of the scary things happening in the real world the, or the intimidating things happening in the real world. So someone could show up and just tell them, here's, well, here's the answer, right? Makes it easier to, to, to cope, I would, I would suspect. I think that'd be my concluding, like, opening review part here would be to say that, like, I do think that this sort of conversation is why I can understand someone would throw the word masterpiece at this film, especially if you're like a Charlie Kaufman, you know, fan or whatever. Um, I see how they get there. I guess my worry is that a lot of the root of that in this film seems to center around the mother figure. Although I am hyper aware that when he finally, <laughs> your father, he's in the attic, he's a dick. And that, and you know what I mean? Like, that's it. Like he, your dad was an asshole, but that's such a small thing. Like he, the movie does not linger and put the roots at the father's feet it the mother is the the bearer the burden of all of his everything that went wrong with him and there could be a an underlying misogynistic text to that i could i can see it i 
Yeah, but, but I also know some terrible moms. So. Well, oh, <laughs> so yes, it, it's it's a it's a, it's tricky though. It's a tightrope it has to walk because you have to remember we're also just seeing things from Bo's perspective, and there might be a hint of misogyny in his in him, right? Mm-hmm. No, he, that's he, a good he, point. He definitely resents his mother, and that could very easily translate to misogyny. Right. So, it, but that's the thing though. Is the movie intentionally, is it accidentally misogynist? Is it critiquing that or is, is it, ex- or is it exploring right. that? Right. It's hard to say. Odd. Oh, I don't want to wade into spoilers too much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But there I've is already like, spoilered us. I'm no, so I, sorry. Well, yeah, here we are. Well, Daniel, how about, how about this? Instead of spoiling <laughs> us, how about you just tell us what you thought of the film? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. It's great. I'm, I'm trying to like anticipate because I know my reaction to, to like Midsummer. And Midsummer is a film I now very much love, but did not um, after my initial viewing. And I, I, suspect something similar might happen with this film. So I'm kind of trying to anticipate, but immediate reaction. I believe I do like it. Hereditary was more of an immediate reaction. I I liked it. And here with Bo, it's like, I think I like it, but I have a hard time recommending it fully. Part of it is, well, a it's, it's, it's sense of humor. It's like, if I know someone, I I keep mentioning, you know, John Waters in reference to this film and like desperate Mm. living. But I think if you, if you have fun with those movies, um, yeah. you'll have specifically the, um, it's not shame based though. Right. I mean, are you thinking like, because you find it funny, are you afraid if you recommend it? Like when I wrecked happiness to my neighbor and they never spoke to me again, Todd Salon's <laughs> film, I thought it was hilarious, but they did not. And they, I, <laughs> I wonder to some extent, yeah. Or if it would just make somebody who I could see, um, you know, if, if you were particularly anxious, yeah. um, I, I don't know if this film would be cathartic sure. for you. I mean, yeah, maybe I that's think fair. that's what I'm getting through. And I want to be kind of like mindful of that. But like at the same time, I, I think what's also telling and to put, uh, build on James point earlier about it feeling just a little bit too long is like our audience was very reactive and there was a lot of laughter, including myself for probably the first two and a half hours. And then finally, where we get to the thing that, um, we've alluded to that I, I think would get the like strongest reaction really throughout the whole film. It was silent. There was there was maybe a few sighs or some grunts. And I think that's pretty telling that, yes, the film maybe just went a little bit too long. Whereas like Midsummer, rewatching it again, that is a long film as well. Comparably long, I think. Especially if you watch the director's cut. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But the theatrical is still, I think, about two and a half hours long. And that film, I feel like. Earns it earns its, its length. Earns yeah, its length. yeah, yeah. It very much does it. And I and I can't say quite the same with Bo, but then again, maybe it's because it's the viewing experience. Maybe it's going to change. I think each of his films have offered each time I've rewatched them, it's a different experience that this one could um potentially appreciate. But it does hit you with something that it it feels like it is trying to emotionally exhaust you. Um, but I wonder if that's a place we always want to be. And part of me thinks like that's that's good and that's rewarding but then there's there's it i also wonder what does that make the experience like does that make the experience worth it ultimately does that um you know make it worthwhile um but i will say i don't think i'm going to forget this film and and i think that's what's very telling is that it's it's very there are distinct images in this one including and as well as the previous Works that just stick out and if anything even if it's hard to recommend wholeheartedly it's 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 still very telling i think in a bit of its um I don't know. I want to say timelessness, but it's not like other films don't operate in the same level. But I think there is something somewhat unique. 
I don't know if it's all particularly productive. And I will say mention on the note of the women and their portrayal in the film, there's really only one that has like a somewhat positive portrayal. There's really only one character and I'll, I'll get to her a little bit later, but even she's kind of not particularly present. It's only momentary. And so I do kind of wonder about that and what Aster is trying to say, or if he's just simply trying to critique, you know, Laurent, what you were getting at, um, you know, misogyny, but it's to what extent can you critique misogyny that you become misogynistic in your, in your film. But I I don't know. I I don't know if that, that stuck with me truly, but I, I do think I like it. I think if you already know Aster, it's probably, you know, you're going to want to see this film and you may, receive it well. Um, but yeah, and it is, it is interesting. It almost feels like those films, like you, you see it once and like definitely at least like see it in, in some capacity, but, uh, whether or not it's going to be the film for everyone and whether or not it's going to have that, um, longevity that hereditary and midsummer have, I mean, that's to be seen and it's hard to guess. It's really hard to guess. I want to think so, but I don't know. I don't know if it will or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought this movie was pretty powerful, provocative cinema. I know that's the joke, but, uh, you know, it, it does reach a point where I'm just so overwhelmed and in awe of all the things happening. And what I mean is I really went on an emotional journey throughout the film. Yeah. I felt like the movie, in a very clever way, as you outlined, depicted how people who live with anxiety every day probably feel. I know I've been there in that in certain chapters of my life. There's some people who live this way every day. You know, at the beginning of the movie, it's like everything is scary. Everything that could go wrong will go wrong. And what is it like to to be a person living that way? That's compelling to me, you know, because what is the thought process for these people? What is the the root of why someone would live that way? As we talked about earlier. I found that exploration really, really fascinating, and I don't think I've seen it explored in this way in a movie. I do really question the runtime, though, because it's one of those. And, and gosh, it's been, I feel like all, with all these three hour movies lately, it's like sometimes the 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 like emotional exhaustion is the point. Yeah. But does that make it a better movie or yeah. right? You made a point. Like, you know, and I I just don't know where I'm going to land on it. I I think this is definitely going to be one of the movies in uh, Astor's filmography that people are going to go back to a lot. I think for a lot of reasons, it's probably going to be studied to a certain degree just because I think there's a lot. There's so many different layers to it, whether it's the dark comedy, whether it's the, the commentary, whether it's the psychological read. There's sorry, psychosexual read uh, for that matter. Mm. Like there's just so many things going on. There's so many different lenses in which you can watch Bo is Afraid and have different takeaways. So from that perspective, I think it's a really rich film. It has a lot to offer and a lot to potentially say. And because it's not super clear, it leaves it up to us, the viewers, to have interpretations. Yeah. Which is what I love about movies. Mm-hmm. So it has all of that. Um, I think I said when I, my initial reaction on Letterboxd was four and a half stars, probably a masterpiece. Never want to see it again. <laughs> you know, I think I've, I've cooled a little bit on the latter part, but it's definitely one of those where I, I don't think I would recommend it lightly. And I don't know that I'll revisit it lightly. I, I do kind of have that morbid curiosity where I'm like, I, I think I need to see it a second time through a different lens. Also knowing kind of where the film is going. I think it will help me contextualize a lot of the things that I 
kind of threw me for a loop the first time. Is it a great film though? Time will tell. It was a, an unforgettable experience for me to be sure. But no way in hell did three hours fly by. I remember when the movie was over, I was, Daniel and I were in the same theater. I was like, I feel like we've been here for a week. Yes. Holy cow. Like, it was like, how long have we been here? Is it a day, a week, three hours? I don't know. I don't know. So how would we compare this to Astor's other films? I mentioned the point about horror earlier, Laron, that you hinted at. You know, this film is definitely more of a psychological drama, I guess, might be a better way to categorize it. James, how would you compare this to his previous two films? Oh, good. Thank you for that question. Um, because that's the question I'd like to discuss. So <laughs> <laughs> it was almost going to be my initial answer to your review question. Um, so I'm not, I don't know. I, what's it called? Hereditary. Um, mm. I only really like that film. Um, and I'll never quite know the extent to which the witch is responsible for that. Because I love the witch. Like, mm. I believe that's the same year. Was it either Moonlight or Call Me By Your Name? I think it was the same year as Call Me By Your Name. Or the very next year, I think, actually. So 2018. 2018. Yeah. Call Me By Your Name was 17, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. uh, the witch was 2016. Mm -hmm. So that's Moonlight. Yeah. And the only reason why The Witch is not the best movie of that year, just so we're clear, is Moonlight. Like, The Witch is... I'm, I watched it on Christmas with my mother at her choosing, not mine. I'd already seen it in the theaters, but I put on the subtitles. And when we got to the possession scene of the boy, mm -hmm. I wept. <laughs> I imagine, yeah. especially if you're watching this on Christmas, which was unintentional. I didn't, I didn't understand the, the symbolism as much, but for this boy being like, my love is if he's talking yeah. to Jesus on Jesus's birthday. <laughs> um, it's pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> Um, so then I watch hereditary, which is, I, I feel like I, it's really good, but it's not the witch, you know, like the witch is a shot for shot, perfect film. I think hereditary thinks it's a shot for shot, perfect film. It's grown on me over the years. A Tony Collette's mm -hmm. performance. I think the ending is spectacular with its violence, uh, with it's, I think kind of, I guess, critique of like this desire in society to like prop up a patriarch. So much so that we will remove this young man's like individuality and autonomy to make him fit this like our desire. I think all that's great. And then of course the head scene, right? You know, just my God. Um, I really do not like Midsommar. I, I had not seen Wicker Man yet, <laughs> but I knew, uh, I knew it. And I, that Radiohead album, had come out with the burn the witch. Yeah. So I knew that music video and I was like, well, it's wicker man. And so when I started watching Midsommar, I was like, this better not be wicker man. And it's wicker man. And it's long. <laughs> <laughs> it's long. And I actually just looked it up earlier while you all were talking. It is shorter than this film. Mm -hmm. And I think feels as long as this film especially if you know it's the wicker man you're just waiting you're like okay so we're gonna like burn this guy alive right um i think it's beautiful cinematography wise uh, i'm just spoiling both of those films i'm just like oh yeah and the boyfriend and it's fire and you i'll know. put a disclaimer at the top of the episode um uh, but i i hated that film legendarily with my friends because we all walked out on the penn square mall parking lot and they're like you didn't love it and I'm like no what you all love i was shocked 
I, I thought the audience was with me, but they loved that film. I've had students write multiple times at their choosing about Midsommar. Oh. Um, and I just find it pedantic. Like, because the students, when they write their, you know, art, you know, uh, analysis of this film, they, they're, they're, they're talking about the theme trauma. And it's like, fuck, duh. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? This yeah. is not me judging the students. The students are writing very well about this. It's just that Ari Oster has like laid it out so transparently. There is no digging for metaphor in Midsommar. There is in Hereditary. Like hereditary mm -hmm. is like almost Hitchcockian in its shots and the way it's like telling you things about, you know, uh, its themes and story, even the way the images move the story along. I do. I, I but Midsommar is just, oh my God, I hate that film. Um, so it was one-to-one -one for me uh, going into this one. And I think it's better than Midsommar and I still think hereditary is better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, you know, I would, I think hereditary is near, already nearing like classic status. I mean, I know it's not old enough to be a classic, but I mean, just in terms of, yeah, I f it, it's already stuck around. I mean, we've been talking about that movie since 2018 still. Mm -hmm. I, st I mean, I feel like people talk about it all the time. Um, and it plays a little more accessibly, I think because it's a horror versus midsummer, which is, as you say, basically the wicker man, <laughs> which I finally then, did watch Wicker Man, the original. I've not seen the Nick Cage one. Yeah. I loved Wicker Man. Yeah. It's brilliant. And then I got a lighter at HorrorCon here last year. That was the, the the thing they set on fire at the end of the Wicker Man. That's the image on the lighter. I don't think I've ever come across a more clever lighter in my life. That is funny. A lighter yeah. that's Wicker Man. You all don't seem as amused by that as I am. But. <laughs> Well, I, uh, you know, it's good to hear. I do think that Midsummer generally is a little more divisive. I, I, I hear people talk about Hereditary a lot. Mm -hmm. I hear people talk about Midsummer too, but not nearly as regularly. Not with the same reverence. Yeah, reverence. I, and I, 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 I mean, I like both, but I, but I, I kind of, I can understand that though. I, I can, I can, I can see how it's, if when you put those, pit those two movies together, you know, I feel like. Yeah. Hereditary is a very see, but the way you're saying you say obvious, I felt like Hereditary was a little bit more obvious mm -hmm. about what it it's about, and I felt like Midsommar was a little more stretched. I get the you did say it was pedantic, and I can see that. Like the theme does become pretty clear at some point, um, and it's much longer. But Hereditary to me is very clearly like this is about trauma. This is about how families you know do this to each other. So that for me it hit me over the head a little bit more, but I didn't mind as much because there was a, enough going on stylistically and then Tony Collette that drew me into it, you know, where I was able to not be so distracted by the fact that I knew exactly what it was telling me, what it was about, you know, so. Yeah, I think that's like to some extent there, and I I get what you're saying too, James. I think it makes sense because it is not, Midsummer is not an ambiguous film. Like it's mm -mm. It, not even remotely. You're absolutely right. It shows its whole, like the entire story is in the first shot of the film with that yeah. like tapestry. It's like, here's everything we're going to go. And um, I, I get that, but I think there's like a part of it. That's just like, <laughs> it's dreamlike for it's me. It's like sensory too. It's yeah, like that it's... sensation and just like kind of being there. It is, but it is like, I guess more of a passive watch. And I will say I even recently critiqued 
a film for not having like much dim- like thematic discipline or for like giving the audience anything to work with and that and knock at the cabin specifically. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think that film was, was, and I don't think Shyamalan as a whole cares too much to let yeah. the audience no. like <laughs> pick apart a film and stuff. I, Ari Aster, I, I, you know, I'm not entirely I mean, if you're sure comparing, if you're comparing to. them, I mean, clearly knock yeah. at the cabin <laughs> is less subtle than, yeah. uh, than Midsummer, but I mean, that's, yeah. It's not a great comparison. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that, like we're uh, yeah. speaking to the same thing and that I'm saying like, that's a thing though. But I think I feel like with Midsummer and that, I don't feel it like where I was insulted by knock at right. the cabin and right. how it did it. Midsummer, I was more, it was, I was pretty along for the ride and I felt uh, just with, with the way it frames specifically um, Danny Florence Pugh's character. And I think just her journey again, I get that it's not, super original but but just the way it was executed i think yeah I mean, that, that, that was how i pr- approached that movie as well i mean i think i, I, I think i kind of knew what it was before i went and saw it even it was kind of the same thing where you're like i'd read a, a lot about it going in. i was like mm-hmm. this is kind of like and i think i so i also uh celebrated my birthday and by seeing that movie with a bunch of friends. And that was kind of how I pitched it to the people. I was like, it's, I was there. I yeah, remember yeah you were there. I was, well, <laughs> how I, dare you? I, I was literally like, Hey guys, it's like the wicker man. I literally pitched it to them. It's like, it's going to be like the wicker man, but Ari Aster doing it, you know? Uh, Cause I had some friends who I uh, were newer friends and, but I basically was trying to pitch like, Oh, what is it? And I was like, um, wicker man, you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like that. Did you like it? Yeah, it's cool. And you know, that, that, that's how it went. So that movie, I felt like I knew exactly what it was going in and it was more about watching the craft and the execution, Daniel, as you're laying out and less about trying to interpret or work out the movie. I think the movie is pretty straightforward in what it's about. Now that said, does a movie that's more about execution need to be two and a half hours long? I, I, especially when it's like using a very familiar premise. I don't think so. Um, but it is impressive filmmaking. The craft is impressive. I love the performances. I love, uh, I mean, Florence Pugh, that was kind of her, one of her breakout hits, Mm -hmm. right? Will Poulter makes it, makes a very small, but, uh, impressionable douchebag in that movie. Uh, you know, the moment he's on screen. Yes. Every second he's on screen, you're just like, oh my God. Uh, And I've always thought he had, uh, Astor's always had an interesting, like relationship with women in general, you know, like, cause I feel like that movie was a little bit more. Um, emboldening, yeah, to the that, female the, character the whole arc, right? Yeah, but the, whereas, like you said, the we swing left here to you know, um, Bo is afraid, and it's interesting because both of those movies anchor around a female performance and a female going through, you know, a horrific experience. And here it's Bo, and but it's but his whole trauma is anchored around a woman mm-hmm. that we don't see for most of the film. Um, so I do think it's interesting. Well, I'd love to know his relationship with his mom and his real relationship. That was probably the first question everyone Googled after the movie was over. Because <laughs> every one of these movies is dealing with incest in some capacity. Yeah. You know, like yeah. in Hereditary, the grandmother, again, spoilers, but yeah, is like breastfeeding the, you know, like there's a lot of weird stuff happening in that as well. As well. And so in then Midsommar, like the little hybrid character the but Oracle. The Oracle character yeah. that's, I'm sure, a, a product of inbreeding, you know, and then obviously this movie, you know, the, so it's, I'm, I, he would be, I say he'd be an interesting person to unpack, you know, mentally, but I've heard him speak a couple of times and he doesn't, he doesn't reveal much. So I, I, you know, it's funny. I, 
I did. Uh, I still love Hereditary. That's the one I, I I've gone back to a few times. I've watched it with new people. I've watched it just because I'm you know thinking about it. I'm like, hey, well, here's a new angle on the movie. Midsummer. I haven't seen it since we saw it in the theater, and you know, I I was it was it left an impression and that the experience was very memorable. Mm. And there's a lot of imagery that's so powerful. But uh, you know, it is definitely not one I'm eager to get back to. Sure. They're all heavy. Th- that's kind none of, of these well, are, none these are light. Well, that's where I come at. Mm. When I think about Bo is afraid, I I legitimately don't know. Am I going to end up in the hereditary space? Where I'm like, every once in a while, I'm like, you know, I should check this out again or show it to someone new. Or am I going to end up in the Midsummer, which is, hey, this is a fun time. I liked it enough that we dressed up for the characters that Halloween. Uh, yep, you were the bear. Yeah, I was the bear. And uh, <laughs> so I liked it enough. But at the same time, I don't really think there's, yeah, because of how obvious all of the ideas are, I don't really feel like there's much of a reason to go back to it uh, for me personally. Um, no, it doesn't make a bad movie. Um, so related to Joaquin Phoenix's performance, and I want to talk about this in the spoiler free section as well, just because I think it's, I mean, this guy puts himself through the ringer for these, these Mm -hmm. roles. And, uh, I guess he had, he actually like was as he usually does not appear to be in a good mental state was also not in a good mental state filming the movie. Uh, I guess he at one point passed out on the set and like they used the shot in the movie of him <laughs> uh, falling through one of the windows. Um, but I guess he, uh, a 24 put out a podcast about this. Uh, if you're interested in learning more, uh, a 24 is a podcast and they did a talk with uh, Ari Aster and Joaquin Phoenix, just kind of talking about their relationship on the film and all that. And it was an insightful talk, but Joaquin Phoenix really put himself into a dark place for this movie. I think the performance is impressive and, yeah. and uh, very bleak, but uh, I'll turn to you. Uh, I'll start with you, Daniel. What did you think of the performance by Joaquin Phoenix? I mean, I, I, enjoy almost all of his performances um to a certain extent i'll mention too i have this bit of an anchor um even though you see elements of of who he is but i think he does you know a lot of his characters that he portrays are um not too far off from one another so i don't know if that um you know i don't know what that says about his range necessarily but i do think with like you know the master and two lovers um and you were never really there i i think this film kind of takes it to a different angle. It might be Joker, J- Joker, Jason, but I think that's just because it's like the most recent film that's in a lot of people's memories. But I, I think the Andy Kaufman um, comparisons that I know a lot of people make, I do not think that's, that's off base with this, especially with the physical. It's like, I want to say it's physically engaging, but there's so many shots of Bo where he's just like either laying down or leaned or perched. And he's just mm-hmm. looking in this like dejected, defeated Stance, but I think the other thing that we're always really sold on, and, and you know, hence the name, I guess, Bo's afraid. I think to some extent, to to get a character that has is riddled with fear um, and anxiety. I think you know, there's only so much um, that the writing can ultimately do. I mean, it, the sticking the landing is on the performer, and I think here it's it's. I don't. I cannot think of somebody who would be better. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there is a is someone, but as far as like a. Um, you know, an, an A-list or like a household name, if you're going to get, um, you know, an actor for this particular role, I think like walking Phoenix makes almost the most sense. And yeah. it almost feels bad saying that, especially knowing what like he physically went through and emotionally to do that. And then I assume I, I can't recall correctly or I can't cite anything, but like Joker presumably put him into some, um, 
you know, physically exhausting. I mean, he definitely it's lost a lot of weight. A lot of weight. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of like Christian Bale with the machinist a little bit. It's just like, it's that, that particular form of, I don't know if method acting is really the right word. Um, or that's, that's what that is, but, but that particular commitment to the performance. But I, I do think he's very well in this role. I, I think of the problems that this film has. I don't think Phoenix himself, um, contributes to any of them. I think he as a, as a character and as a person works really well here. Um, is it his best performance? No, not for me personally, but it, it is still a quality, uh, Joaquin Phoenix performance, but I can't think of any that are terrible personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's well said. He's definitely a high caliber. This is going to sound terrible, but you need an un mentally unwell uh, white dude. <laughs> he's yeah. he's become the guy. Uh, I mean, that's not, I know that's not all he can do, but like in, you think about, you mentioned that all the movies you mentioned, The Master, uh, you get Joker. I mean, and then this, it's it's been like, it's been, it's not just like he does one every once in a while. It's like, now this is what he's been doing for like the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so I just, I, I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, if maybe he pivots after this, but I don't know. That's not really related to his performance in the film. Laurent, what did what did you think? Yeah, I think he's the perfect like kind of I don't want to say blank canvas because he's not he's not empty. Um, there's a lot wrestling under the surface there, but it's definitely an understated performance for him. I think, um, and I think that was the right approach because everything happening around him is so hyperbolic. You know, it just seems ridiculous, and and so I think if he if he even turned it up one more notch, mm -hmm. this movie would have imploded. You know what I mean? Like he need, that we needed that that you know calmness, or if you will, by comparison to yeah. kind of yeah, timid. I'd say timid. Uh, yeah, he's got that timid nature to him. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree. It's also not my favorite performance, but I think it's more hinges on the character because uh, he's a very yeah. frustrating character for me. You know, frustrating because. Um, and it, we pity him, but it's frustrating for the viewer because we there's so many instances where we just wish he would just say or do something because, you know, and then that's the, I mean, and I think that's the point of it. You know, he is so shackled by his own, you know, I want to use the word trauma again, but yes. So it feels very, very much like he's, yeah, he's enslaved by his own thoughts and imprisoned by his own thoughts and. And so I think he he plays to that very effectively. So, mm -hmm. James, what did you think of Joaquin Phoenix's performance? It's funny listening to all of you. I guess I didn't a lot. Like that to me, his performance is maybe the least interesting thing in the film. Like there was a moment. Oh, by the way, I hate Joker. I I that, yeah. Well, fair enough. Yeah, yes, that's fine. <laughs> oh, um, just terrible film. Uh, I literally, when I saw that movie, my my good friend Hal, and I've never seen anyone do this literally ever watching a movie, or maybe in response to anything now that I think about it, there was a moment during the end, I think when there's like a big reveal in the Joker at the end, where it did, did, did the Joker and Bruce's parents... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you discover... So, so Joker didn't kill Bruce's parents, but the angry mob that the Joker incited... Uh, uh, killed his parents and you get the it was a very fan fiction like oh and this is how that happened pearl yeah. snap even though they yeah. promised us that it wasn't going to be a it was going to be a standalone no connection That's to right. the the lore and That's the correct. and they 
They lied. Couldn't help my, themselves. My friend Hal, he curled both hands into fists of rage <laughs> at that decision. And I have never seen such a thing. And I just, I mean, like it was, and it was genuine. He was just like, oh, how dare you? I was like, mm-hmm. yes, you're right. That's how bad that film is. Like, that's how much I dislike that film. <laughs> um, and somewhere in this one, I was like, oh, yeah, he was in Joker. <laughs> like, I just had that, what, that did, memory. He did win an Oscar for it. The second actor to win um, an Oscar for playing the Joker. And I just, you He's know. hardly the worst thing about the movie, though. I think the movie's not great, but I think he's pretty good in it. I don't know. but Probably. That's probably true. I just try not even think about that. Film, but I <laughs> love that Hal story. That was just such that that's more interesting to me and, than anything <laughs> in the Joker. Um yeah, I mean he's fi- I mean he's fine. I mean I think all your you think you've said all it is worth kind of saying about him. Is- Again, the idea that he's a passenger, he's having to play this. And again, a lot of this is the writing, just as much as the performance. But you're witnessing this guy who is literally a passenger in his own life, mm-hmm. and because of that, it's like it's a dark, deep hole of depression and things going wrong. And yeah. how do you how do you get out of it? Again, I'd say a lot of that's really the writing and directing, but you need a, an act who can sell that, like Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, I don't think it's his best performance, but I do think it's a good performance. And like you said, Leron, this is a very subdued, you know, he's frequently not even lucid half the time. It's just not Tony Collette. Right. That's what well, I'm that's what I'm well, realizing over here. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, am I just Tony like, Collette dinner scene? Like, come I on. mean, yeah, that there's no moment like that in this. Not even close. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix, while I think very good here, is just there's it's not a Tony Collette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, okay, a couple, one last thing. I, I and I want to keep this part brief, but I do just for people who have not seen the movie. I want to get just a quick react. Your what was your gut reaction to the end of the film that we will talk about in depth in spoilers? So keep this part brief. But I, I'm just curious because. How you feel about the end for a lot of people tends to shape how they feel about the rest of the movie. So it might be good to know what they're in for. Uh, So, Laurent, I'll start with you. I'm not sure I understand it, and I'm not sure. I know when it happened, I said, well, I think we're missing something here. There's there's one more beat I needed from this. And maybe I'll feel differently about that on second viewing, but it left me a little... I don't mind being cold at the end of a movie, but it left me feeling cold without any answer or thread to go off of after that. So it just felt like, okay, I guess there's nothing left to say. There was so much said before this, but it feels abrupt, like the middle of a sentence just stops. So, Well said. Daniel? Yeah, and there's a part of me, very similar, and there's a part of me that, like, like some of those abrupt endings when they're, yeah. when they're done right. This one, not so much because you, it just feels like we get there yeah. and something's happening and we've built to this moment and, and it, the moment's not complete, at least not for me. And maybe, and maybe I'm missing something. What yeah. was the take? What, what is the takeaway you're supposed to have at the end? And I know, obviously I don't, know. I don't yeah. want them to lecture us like the end of sure. knock at the cabin, but it, it feels like, the, like you said, there's just a certain, maybe even just a question yeah. Like there's something about like, I'm not sure, am I supposed to be upset? Am I supposed to be laughing? Is mm. this supposed to recontextualize the movie in a way that makes sense? Is it just like, what is it? Yeah. Supposed, what is it trying to evoke? And maybe that's, and maybe that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels, 
when you're already, yeah, kind of exhausted from the film being just a little bit too long. That's all I was going to say. That's yeah, all I, that was like, literally all I have to say. I feel like if it was just like a little bit shorter, that like ambiguity, that abrupt, yeah, that mid-sentence, you know, that, that truncated statement, whatever it is or whatever it's trying to say would actually like sit better and be easier to chew on it a bit. But I feel like it was just a lot of kind of like nodding and all right, that was that was that. And like, I don't, I I can see what it's trying to say. And there's a part of me that like, I still maintain this like false, like sense of hope that things were going to really like turn around. And I think maybe I waited that. for the end of the credits. I was like, the credits are rolling and yeah. he's still hollering underneath that, you know? So it's just wondering like, okay, is something going to happen or is something, yeah. or what am I, what am I supposed to be feeling right now? So. And yeah, I think it wants you to feel kind of nothing. But then again, it's like, is that, is that good or is that something I'm going to have to like revisit again? And right. is that 10, narrative? Is it, is it satisfying? I mean, again, yeah. even if that's the point, sometimes when you get the point, it's satisfying, but other times it's like, okay, I see the point, but yeah. also they didn't M night. It Shyam- wasn't worth they it. Didn't M night Shyamalan knock at the cabinets where they tell us the point and we're like, Oh, I didn't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. It was more interesting when I didn't know, yes. but you told me and now I, I know too much. And now everything that came before that was actually effective now feels right. And, and that was, yeah, in the, the sentence, I, I thought, oh, this could be an interesting sentence. And then it's just suddenly, no, no, no. It's actually just a very, very short, simple sentence. Yeah. This is like, yeah, it stops halfway through the sentence. So you never really find out yeah. whether or yeah. not yeah. it's compelling. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So James, uh, outside of the runtime, anything you want to add? <laughs> Exhaustion? <laughs> Why would I add to the runtime? <laughs> <laughs> 30 extra minutes? Thank you, everybody. I have a lot of dad jokes. No children. Um... Yeah, I just I, I I there there were just moments. I don't know when it started, but there were just moments in this film where I just started audibly like dad sighing, where I was like, <sighs> yeah, and yawning. Not because the, maybe the dad sighing was a little passive aggressive, but the but I wasn't trying to be passive aggressive. It was just like no, it's, it's an exhausting movie that warrants size yeah mm-hmm. and and so once he got on the the water and started heading into I'm not stupid and going back to Betty it was like oh we're in the subconscious I before we know what's around him I knew you know if you've seen where the wild things are and when Max mm. goes in the water you mm. know what this is so I knew we were doing that and the beat wise it felt like okay we're heading to the ending then um yeah. and I just sighed <laughs> I was just like Okay, let's do. Like I knew that was coming. I do. Th- I have some interpretations, I guess, but we'll save that. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, those are our spoiler-free thoughts on the Spoiler-ishly film. Spoilerishly. We thoughts. yeah. Well, there's going to be some <laughs> disclaimers at the top of this episode added. Uh, letter grade. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. Letter grade. What, what letter grade would you give the film? And James, I'll, I'll I'll start with you. Oh no! Can I? We have to do it now. Oh God! I was hoping for the other discussion for this letter grade. Shoot! Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. I do not have a grade for this yet. Okay, I think that's fair. I, yeah. I think that's fair. So that's an incomplete. But yeah, Ooh, appropriate. I, I think it's very appropriate. appropriate. Daniel, are you going to give it the eye? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not quite. <sighs> I'm trying to guess how I'm going to feel about it. <laughs> Which is impossible um, years from now because that's kind of how it worked with Midsummer, but I don't think this is the same at all. Um, I, I, B feels right because I kind of liked it, but like 
again, it's like, I feel like there's a lot of movies that I write B that I'm like, well, I received them well, but like, it's hard for me to like recommend them. Whereas like, if I was in the more of the A territory or above, and, and I think maybe that's where like hereditary for me personally, Midsummer kind of lies. It's like easier for me to like wholeheartedly recommend them where this one I'm like, I, I like it. And I enjoy like each individual piece of the experience. I feel like there's like parts I, I really like and received well, but then there's like something about the cohesive whole that brings it a little bit down and then just how long it is at the same time. It's like, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like a, a solid B for yeah. Bo. B for Bo, LeBron Chapman. B for Bo. I also give it a B and I, I give it a B with the disclaimer that my opinion of it may change. And I don't know if it'll go up or down, but I, I am curious to see it again. And uh, not immediately though. Mm-hmm. I would like right. to see this with some distance from it. You know, so I think that would be the most that would make the second viewing a lot more rewarding there. So um, I'm going to say a B. So it feels right. There's enough craft here, enough um, boldness here. Um, again, I think he he's a visionary um, as a filmmaker. Um, I don't know if all of his ideas coalesce as satisfyingly as I'd hope, but his ideas are at least worth um, a healthy discourse which I can't say about a lot of other filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it an A. I don't know if I love this movie, but I love that we're going to be talking about it for a very long time and unpacking it for a very long time. And I admire the hell out of the boldness and the craft. This movie swings for the fences so that my biases still, I will prop up a movie that takes big swings and potentially misses versus you know, another form, very formulaic studio film that's not really taking any chances or it, innovating. You really got to stop bringing Renfield up, up and this is not the <laughs> podcast that we're talking about. <laughs> um, or, or superhero movies, most of them. Uh, you know, I just, it's it's a movie that at least I can say, I don't think I've seen anything quite like it. It's certainly imperfect. It certainly moved me in a lot of different ways. And I'm certainly not going to forget it. And I'm certainly going to talk about it. It's a lot of certainties. All of that set to be said, I think it gets an A for me. I think I probably should watch it. No interest to do that anytime soon. Yeah. And Daniel, to your point, I don't know who I would recommend it to. Like I would probably recommend it to A24 fans and Ari Aster fans. Outside of that group, I'd have to have a, I'd have to really know a person where they're at, where their <laughs> headspace is before I say, I think you should watch Bo is Afraid. With that said, maybe there's some other things we would would recommend people watch, listen to, play. So what alternate media recommendations would you pair with Bo is Afraid? Daniel, I'll start with you. I keep thinking about this film, watching Bo is Afraid, and it's like another one where like, I recommend, but like a film that probably kind of pairs nicely. And at a time when I was younger and dumber, I really liked this director, but now he has grown a little less so for me, and it's uh, Lars von Trier. And specifically Dogville, I think there's a lot of bleakness of that film. And if you're looking for a film that just goes into worst case scenario after worst case scenario until it reaches a, I feel like that film's ending is like there, it, that sentence is ended. It's just right. it's ends just, on a, yeah, yeah very bleak. <laughs> um, bleak note, but it does end itself. I don't think we get quite a bit of like confusion or a bit of a daze that Bo's afraid gets, but yeah, I think, I think Dogville for Phoenix performances, I, I again, I will continue. I, I really like Two Lovers quite a bit and The Master, so I, I think I'd recommend those both. Um, so Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master specifically. And then I have a video game uh, 
the Stanley parable, um, which I think is it's really the the short of it is it's a character who or it's a a first person game, but not like a shooter or anything. Um, And I don't think there's really any violence in it. It's just someone who is their life is being narrated. But you as a player have the freedom to go through somewhere else or do something else. But the narrator continues to try and chase you. And ultimately, it's a question as to whether you have actual agency playing this video game. It's all set in a corporate building too. It's so all you start like in your office yeah. and then the narrator starts telling the story of the character and like you said, you can yeah. choose to either agree and or do what he says or what he mm-hmm. doesn't say. And the character will, or the narrator will continue to narrate every action, everything you do. But yeah, it gets more funny and and sometimes it goes to some dark places, but it's mostly lighthearted. I would, I would say if you could almost like, I, I feel like you get a little bit of the Bo's Afraid experience from the Stanley Parable without you know, quite so much of the uh, discomfort, but I don't know. I think that would be mine. The Stanley parable. Stanley parable. Great recommendation. Laurent Chapman, what would you recommend? You know, we've already mentioned the Charlie Kaufman films. We've already mentioned the Truman show and all those, but something that I saved for this question was, and just came out. um, Was it just this year or late last year was Skinamarink. Because, that's the first time I've seen a film in a long time where um, it's befuddling, but it's the imagery is so evocative that it it made me remember sensory things at a very young age. Mm-hmm. What it felt like to be afraid to go down down the stairs, you know, what it felt like um, to hear voices on the other side of the door that you're not sure. Where, they, where they're coming from. And I imagine that, well, you know, things like that, that then that kind of childlike, you can't, you can't decipher what's happening. Um, and sometimes it could be something happening in the household that I am not at that age. Um, I can't, I can't um, make out whether it's, it's uh, domestic abuse happening in the house, whether it's, you know, you know, things like that, where that tension exists in the space, whether you're looking at it head on or not, because it's everywhere um, and you're just not old enough to process it. And so I felt like very similar to that, that he's a big man child who hasn't processed or dealt with all of that. And so I felt like that is something that it reminded me a lot of. So. That is an excellent recommendation, Skinmarink, uh, by the way. Shameless plug, uh, we actually have an interview with the executive producer, which if you're listening to this episode, uh, is now live. That's uh, the executive producer, uh, Jonathan Barkhan. Uh, so make sure to check that out. LeBron didn't even know. He was plugging the show. James Cooper, what else would you recommend? Good job on that interview. That's great. Memoria, did y'all see that? Tilda Swinton? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. I wanted to. Uh-uh. I, I would... Mean, I, I thought of it earlier and I even looked up its runtime. It's and pretty it is long. Shorter. Though. Oh, is it? Is it? I, I mean, than this. It's shorter oh, than, yeah. you know, this movie. Um, but I think what I like about that film. So if if Aster is exploring anxiety and its roots and these sorts of things, I think Memoria is too, though it's not like a Kaufman type, you know, mind bender, you know can't do laundry sort of thing. It's not that. Um, But it is a very much like slow cinema. You know the plot, right? Yes. Yeah. And I would say there's a moment, again, my friend Chris and when we do these horror movie nights, um, we ended up pausing. Instead of doing that, we watched Memoria. And um, 
I was during award season last year. It was in my top five. It just, there is a moment where, you know, as someone who actually, oh, I can tie this all together. As someone who, again, who has anxiety, right? Um, it's the way it works for me is it's very easy for my mind to travel to other places in terms of, oh no, my cat or, oh, this or that, you know, super easy to do that. So it's hard to quiet my thoughts, um, and to focus singularly. Um, thank God for film school because, you know, by the time I got to grad school in Stillwater, slow cinema was becoming really a thing, right? It's mm -hmm. been fits and starts. We know for sure across continents, across decades, right? But it was, it's been kind of, you know, in this fever pitch in the last, you know, 12 years or so. And it really forces active viewing. Mm -hmm. you, one can't be passive, right? It, the idea that every single shot matters and everything within the composition is communicating theme or story, right? Um, when there's a moment in Memoria that I won't spoil, but I'll say the experience, which was I'm realizing that for as much as I am watching this film with my friends and very engaged, I'm still having these thoughts about other things. But then there is a moment in this film where like, and I only realized it afterwards, like, oh, it was so intentional, where like sound and image have collided in such a way that I found myself suddenly so attuned to everything in that room, everything. Mm -hmm. And we had the, I had a window up and I could hear the sounds outside too. And it was so relaxing that few things in my life can accomplish this, like very few. So that's why I remember it so well. And it was so wonderful that I almost turned and told Chris and Niha that this was happening. But I realized that if I did, I would be interrupting what was this moment. And so then afterwards, I described that moment to Chris and Niha. And Chris goes, Bunny, you should say that because the director of that film, his whole kind of project with slow cinema is this idea that like this approach can ultimately help one heal from um, the effects of like colonialism. I know that sounds, I know I'm sure what that sounds like, <laughs> but it, it works because when you watch that film, you realize it's taking similar, similarly to Bo is afraid. Like it starts with that, you know, the premise of the film is this woman hears this sound. And when she hears it, she can't unhear it, but no one else can hear it. But it's just like this thing that's ongoing and she's in a city and so the city plays a very key role in terms of like its effect on causing anxiety in her. Um, and then she's in nature later, although I guess one could argue urban it's nature, but you get the idea here. She's in the more rural setting for the scene that I'm describing. And I don't know. I think that that film I found healing and I'm not sure I find that in Oster's film, you know, like I don't that's not happening. And so then I'm wondering in some ways, like, well, why, why did this man just put us through this? And it's yeah. kind of to your point, Daniel, earlier, it was something I wanted to affirm you on when you said in some of your earlier thoughts, like, who do you recommend this to? And mm -hmm. would you recommend it to someone with anxiety? And I, yeah, I would have a hard time doing that, even though I'm absolutely someone. And it seems Oster believes this too. I'm someone who believes that, you know, art can be cathartic in that Greek way. And in the middle yeah. of this film is that whole story moment, right? Where it's about, do you see yourself in the story? So I think he believes that. It's just, I think Memoria just like mops the floor 
in terms of like it's conversation Mm -hmm. with someone who might be experiencing that or maybe someone who doesn't understand it and the healing from it. And I don't mean in a wishy-washy like, go watch this, like, feel good, eat, love, pray. No, that's not what I mean. It, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, it, it is a, it is an, ex, it is cinema. It is Bergman. It mm. is Hitchcock. It is Sergei Eisenstein. Like, that's what I think is happening in Memoria. Yeah. Here? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Um, I, I don't know. That I think that's, <laughs> I think that's kind of alluded, like, related to what we were talking about earlier. It doesn't feel like there's any sense of closure like if i was a person with anxiety i feel like this movie would more than likely increase it would trigger you is more likely to trigger you than to help you confront certain things to enlighten you in any type of way and that's yeah it feels it feels like i don't want to say what's the point but but there's that level of like yeah it, it it's very effectively about what it's about but by the end of it it's like but where what am i taking away from this and that's what i'm saying like did it satisfy me as that closing moment I'm like, I'm fine being put the ringer. Like, fuck me up, please. I want to. That's what I go to the movies for. I I, I can watch, you know, a mental mind fuck movie, but I want to leave feeling like I got something to chew on that yeah. that is, that is you know, like even if it's like a re- revelation in myself, you know, like, okay, that was rough, but I, have, I now have something to, to mind through, and I'm not sure I do at the end of this movie. And you're making me remember American Psycho. Like I, it's cause I, I think it's important what you're saying. Like, I don't need the same with Mulholland drive. Like I don't need the Memoria, like calming healing yeah. thing that it does. I don't need that every time. Right. That's what's so magical about that film experience, but the story's got to work. And the ambiguity at the end of both Mulholland drive and, um, American psycho feels fine. That's fine. Like, that's fine. I don't need this nice, pretty, like, yeah bow on every on everything you know uh i didn't even try that um <laughs> but it just yeah i don't know and i, I know i must sound so negative about this film you kind of nailed it earlier when you were like is it mixed to negative i i think that's kind of where i'm at but i also understand this masterpiece thing i get how someone gets there i get it, it i think it's going to have an impact on the people who watch it positive or negative sure and in that way i yeah. think it, it it's certainly elevated now, I could, like, a year from now, think, rewatch it, or think and be like, actually, that was a net negative for me, for the people watching it. So, actually, it's probably not great. I don't know. That's where it's, it lives in that ambiguous area. Right now, I'm feeling more like on the, the masterpiece side. See, and I'm mid-leaning positive, but I'm still mid right now because there's, there's, there's too many hangups. But even American Psycho, I walk away from that movie feeling like I know – the questions I'm supposed to be asking yeah. in this movie. I don't think that's super clear. I mean, there are certain things that are certain questions that are clear, but there's also a lot that's not too many com- people complain that Midsommar was too, too laid out and too obvious. So he made his next movie just completely. <laughs> just... Yeah. Firstly, I'll recommend the Alfred Hitchcock classic. We've already mentioned it uh, off the air, but psycho, if you want to watch a movie about a son who has been deeply, deeply traumatized by his mother, I think I'm excited to rewatch that movie. Having watched Bo is afraid because there's definitely a quite a bit of overlap in terms of some of the ideas they may be exploring there. Uh, I'm going to go lighter. And even though I already took a jab at superhero stuff earlier in the podcast, um, these are two Batman recommendations. Cause I just think 
a lot of our listeners probably like Batman. Uh, the Batman the Animated Series episode, Perchance to Dream, is a uh, it's a, an episode where Bruce Wayne, it, he wakes up and he's in a world where he's Bruce Wayne, not Batman. And even though it's only like a 22-minute episode, it's really exploring the psychology of the character and what is he sacrificing, what is his trauma rooted at. Um, it's, it's begging some interesting questions about the character in a very digestible format that I think both adults and children can enjoy. And if you want to just go on just the more adult skewing uh, Batman psychology takes it kind of another step uh, deeper, I would say Batman Arkham Asylum, the graphic novel, not to be confused with the games. Uh, I'm talking about the Grant Morrison graphic novel. And the reason I recommend it, it's very focused on the psychology, but I also just think genuinely the uh, art in that uh, novel is really stunning. And there's not too many others that I think have successfully uh, copied it, so to speak. Um, well, with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not want to be spoiled, asterisks, on Bo is Afraid, go ahead and tune out now. Stop to me! Stop to me! A paragon! Peter! Get out! First topic I want to hit on here is living in an anxious world. We've already talked about that. I think we generally think that's one of the things it does well. Um, the inciting incident at the beginning of the movie is Bo loses his keys. And from there, it's a perpetual escalation uh, over the course of three hours until it concludes with some wacky trial in front of mostly strangers and a handful of people he kind of knows. So I, I'm just curious. I, I want to, as much as we can in a limited time podcast, how do you think this film uses these various chapters? I want to say there's five of them, if I'm counting correctly. Um, how does he use different chapters of the journey to underscore different aspects of his anxiety? Daniel, you're making eye contact with me, so I'm starting yeah. with you. Dang it. I was afraid of that. Um, oh, I'm afraid. No, I won't be. Yeah, don't be afraid. Right. It's okay. I'll be brave. The I, I don't know because I wonder it because when we were talking about the conclusion of the film too, we were mentioning like what are what are we supposed to like really learn from the film? And it's very hard for me to think of 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 maybe what I'm what I'm learning and what portions of it are productive. But it is this like comedy of errors that just dominoes into perpetually worse and worser case scenarios somehow. And I. I wonder if in an odd way seeing that and seeing these horrible things happen that are just so ridiculous to be believed can in any way. Um, I don't know if it did for me personally, but it did make me laugh, I guess. And I wonder if it like quells our own anxieties to some extent. I, I don't know because there are also things that's missing. Like he does, you know, get face to face with, you know, the anxiety of just society around him is a big part of it. The society of you know, the, the, a, a normal or the anxiety, excuse me, of a, like, you know, being in a, a semi-normal family for him or being able to have whatever, you know, the romantic relationship he, he, you know, seems to long to, and then just having any sense of community. I think one of the few things we're missing because I continually get the sense of being like splayed and etherized and dissected, but I'm like, wow, a, a job interview is really like, a little bit like the, the application process. I feel like I, I just want to see, even though to our understanding, Bo probably has never 
work or there is nothing about like any kind of idea about, you know, what, what his, what he is professionally, if anything, I think it makes it clear that there, there really is anything, nor does it matter, but it, it I kind of, I got, I kind of, it, it's ambiguous, but I kind of got the impression that his mom paid for everything. Yeah. That was kind of, yeah. She, he, but, Cause he lived in her housing. Mm-hmm. She, he, his food was her boxed meals. Exactly. Yeah. It was all her ultimately. And so I think that if he had a job, it was probably a fake job that exactly. Yeah. Some him just, yeah. Random thing. But I, and I, I do wonder about that. If that, like, if it's like, if it does anything productive with it, I mean, it definitely conveys anxiety and I think it does it, you know, pretty effectively, but then what, what it actually is trying to, to say about it. I, I begin to question that. There's another recent film with like Infinity Pool, and I think Infinity Pool's dissection of Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, it's dissection of like, you know, masculinity a bit. And I'm like, it seems like it's so good at like identifying things and identifying issues and identifying fears. Without but saying it, anything about it. But it doesn't like say much of anything productive about it. And that was actually part, part of my concern with this film. And, and then again, and I'm like, do we need to expect Astor to say anything like this? If this is truly like a deeply personal film, which it probably is, I would say from as far as I can tell, it's a very, very, yeah, very, very expensive therapy session. Yeah. That someone else <laughs> that a studio is bankrolling. Exactly. And it's like, what? Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of hard to get. So, I mean, those, these, these instances, they definitely book in anxiety and I definitely feel anxious to some extent. And I think a lot of our laughter is, is, you know, part of it is genuinely, it like genuinely hits the punchlines, but then there's also just, it's kind of a nervous laughter in, in certain instances, especially in that second act when you get, um, you know, Nathan Lane's family and and that's, which we didn't even talk about Nathan Lane, no. who delivers one of the weirdest performances in this movie <laughs> yes. that I found delightful because it was so, so, it was so off-putting by how, his cheerfulness and his, hey, old buddy, like, it just was yeah. so, you're like, what is, this guy got like bodies in the basement, like what is going it's on? It's a sheer disregard yeah. for like, the, this guy is clearly spiraling. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I wonder. I do wonder what it is it truly like underscoring or what if it does say anything other than just present it to you and it becomes very hard for me to you know again parse that 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 mess of anxiety it almost just feels a bit like a both simultaneously an assault to the point where you know i guess things aren't quite so bad <laughs> like well like, i mean you, you outlined i think you outlined though i mean there's several different chapters we're going through i mean the first one is sort of like his day-to-day he's a life in the city so the fears of uh you know being surrounded by uh, complete strangers then you have the fear of what it, what would it be like to be in a real family followed by what would it be like to be in a in a community non-judgmental community mm-hmm. um and then eventually he arrives you know to his mom's funeral and where his uh Anxiety is very visceral because it's so direct. I I, I, yeah. I think so. I think you're onto something by kind of outlining these are different fears that one probably has mm-hmm. about the the world we're living in. And I thought the way that he presented them was compelling. Yeah. And that you know it wasn't just a normal family. It was a family that was apparently being held hostage by his mom with a a, a daughter who is also having apparently having her own mental health frustrations parents who were kind of you know it just all of that stuff seemed really compelling now does it fit together in a meaningful way i'm i'm not sure but i think is almost like his very lengthy vignettes you know the the air quotes jewish lord of the rings like it fits mm-hmm. go on a journey you know yeah. Ja- oh yeah james what do you think about the different kind of chapters of the journey 
I yawned again, like right now. And that's how I was in the movie because I was so tired watching that movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Daniel, you're just saying like a lot of what I'm thinking, if I'm being honest. And I really just want to applaud <laughs> your opinions that you have. Because um, I don't know. I loved, for instance, this guy who's in the ceiling with his. I'm, I sound like Herzog right now. Like, I love this guy. <laughs> Please. <in> the ceiling. <laughs> Please do the accent. Yeah, no. Uh, but I do. I like this stuff uh, when he's in the tub, you know. And, and, yeah, I and forgot about that. That is so <laughs> wonderful. That is wonderful stuff. Uh, in terms of performance, like Parker Posey over mm -hmm. over Joaquin. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, yeah, all that, all that's great. I don't know. I, I just, uh, man, God, uh, you guys keep naming these other films and I just keep finding myself wanting to talk about those films over this one. Like, yeah, like to some extent, I feel like there's like that transition from like construct and society and like urbanized setting and then to the eventually the woods and then back into the reintegration of society. Like, I feel like I think of the lobster a lot. Mm -hmm. And but I'm like that film kind of does some of the things that Bo is trying to accomplish a little bit better. It's not about the same thing um, entirely, but it does. It does reflect on certain fears we have. That one primarily with romance, but then it's like it does it so much faster and it's like a little more, like it's still somewhat ambiguous, but I feel like it's also a little bit more direct. Not to say it's as much of a spectacle as this movie, and I think that's where this is. And like now that you're mentioning those scenes, and then I'm like have this flood of like, oh, these individual scenes are just like great. Like, But then it's like, what hole did they create and what what does what does it yield ultimately and did it do anything for you because you mentioned james like you're in you know going into it and like i don't think it did anything for my anxiety person like i don't know if it made me understand it better or anything like that do you think it helped in any way or like could it be productive in that way well i well two things directly one is it upped my anxiety like there were moments where as i was yeah. watching it I, you know, I, I like right now, I'm like, I have actually a very similar outfit to what I have on right now right? with the jean jacket and then the uh, hoodie on underneath it. And then, you know, a shirt underneath that. And I, I don't know which point in the movie, but somewhere in the film, I felt, I started feeling like clammy mm -hmm. and, you know, like, oh God. And I was like, well, what am I going to, I need to lean forward. Like, do I need to take off the coat. Do I need to take off the hoodie? And I was like, wait. Wait, no, this is the movie. Like, you know, I realize like I'm having a an anxiety kind of thing happening in response to this. That's one thing. I don't know how helpful that is. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. But what I will say is helpful and uh, was at the beginning of the film. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, a good laugh also. But the, the moment um, – I can't remember what question his therapist asked uh, – about like, uh, or does he feel guilty about something? And, mm. you know, Bo pauses a little bit and then uh, <laughs> it cuts to the close up of where he, the therapist writes guilty on the notepad. Mm. That led to me, and I was talking to my friend Aaron about this today, like that led to me um, thinking about the concept of guilt as, yeah. you know, I think a lot as someone with anxiety and someone who thinks, you know, again, psychoanalytically about film. Uh, the role that shame plays in shaping us. So, you know, I'm very much someone who thinks about shame and the mm -hmm. role that, mm -hmm. you know, how that, how our parents can instill that, how 
ideology or religion, you know, right, can do that to us. And how, you know, especially as a queer person, really one has to work at unpacking and undoing and replacing thoughts of shame, mm-hmm. you know, that people have put in our, our minds, right? And quite frankly, even as people of color, right? Because there is, you know, you know, the mark of Cain, you know, this sort of silliness, right? Um, yeah. Or the black body just is for slavery. Or, you you know. got two strikes before you open your mouth and you have to ask yourself like, so I've already done something wrong according to society, like from the jump. And so it's very... Yeah, it's a lot to unpack because you have to start telling yourself that what I'm being taught, you know, is not the, is not the truth. But you, but you're conditioned to it for so long that you believe it about yourself before you have any reason to. And so, yeah, it's 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 a it's a process of unlearning and not, and you know, turning it, turning the other way or and the wild gaslighting, whether intentional or not, of people who don't know that experience who are like. Well, I don't get it, bro. Which is kind of the Nathan Lane. Yeah, yeah we don't get it. Right. right. What's wrong? Like, Toxic positivity. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, what do you mean? Like, I, I'm not racist, and I think that you know, I think you're, you're fine. You're pretty smart. Yeah. Doing great. And it's like, yeah, good. Yes, thank. Yes, uh, <laughs> you know, like that's. Oh my god, I hadn't thought of that. That's wow. Do you think? Um, so, uh, I mean, ver- instead of a catharsis, do you think this movie could actually maybe help? demonstrate to people who either a are anxious and anxious and don't realize they're anxious or B kind of demonstrate for people who maybe haven't struggled with anxiety in a, in a visual way under, cause I think the movie does a great job at capturing that on the screen, the feeling, mm-hmm. do you think it could maybe help educate uh, or awaken those people perhaps? I think two things on that because in this kind of, goes, I don't remember what you said. Some, one of you said something smart earlier on this note where um, I think on the one hand, yes, because as I was, I think I already said this earlier, but as I was driving right to the theater and that Fox News thing came on, it kind of set the stage for me to, in those opening, what, 30 minutes, 40 minutes when he's in the city setting, just be like, oh, this is someone who is, is sub- subscribing ultimately to this sort of idea that the cities are dangerous and scary and, you know, got to build a wall, that sort of stuff. Um I think if you showed this to them, like this is this is how ludicrous you all. Yeah. This is how you look. Yeah. You, do you understand this is mm-hmm. ludicrous the way you're thinking? Like, mm-hmm. um, so in that way, yeah, I think it's in a in a funny way, it's like this is literally like this is what you sound like to me. Like this is like I I don't know how to make this clear. So on that note, yes. However, when I think of who would watch this film? I think actually both Caleb and Daniel kind of talked about this, but like, I don't know. I don't think a, a Baptist pastor is going to watch this movie. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. And I would suggest that a Baptist pastor um, is very likely to be someone like Bo, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, to vote by like Bo, think scare the cities and these, and that's not my opinion. That is, mm-hmm the data who tells us who's voting for Republicans and more likely to have that kind of, you know, to be a Trump supporter, Mm -hmm. right. Or a DeSantis supporter, not my, not my numbers, (laughs) you know? And so like, would that person watch a movie with that's got this rating, right? No, but let's say they do. Um, How long before they turn it off? Pretty early considering like the language. I mean, what you have for me, hilariously graffitied, you know, like 
what's his name? Kill the Pope or uh, yeah. kill children, eat the Pope. Yeah. I can't remember. I mean, tongue in cheek stuff, but like, if you're a person who you're going to, you're going to find that pretty offensive to say nothing of the dick in the ceiling. Like you're not. So I don't, I don't think that viewer is no, like, I, Hey, I'll be hopeful. Sure. Good. Like set them down for Bo is afraid, but no, I don't think that that audience is, is going to watch this movie. That, that audience would, will would no, <laughs> Right. Right now, I think you're right. <laughs> very hard sell. It would be a very yeah, tough sell. Pay them, maybe. Maybe you could appeal to the people <laughs> who like Hereditary, who fall in that. Because I do yes. think, because I do think there are people in that demographic who they like. Ho- They're here for that horror. And yeah. yeah, if they, yeah. So you could get someone there. I think your earlier assessment, like the A24 fan, they're absolutely going to be here mm-hmm. for this. But I am suggesting that there is a whole audience that there is absolutely no way. Right. Yeah. Um, a, a very large, the, like large, the majority of people. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, this know. is not my ask. I would ask them to watch it. I would ask anyone. I think everyone should watch everything. Like, you know what I mean? I, well, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just funny because, you know, we, we live in a, I mean, mental health has been discussed so much in the last decade, especially the last five years. Uh, yet very few meaningful things have been done by our institutions. What? Uh, <laughs> right. To support uh, mental health, and it, it feels like this is probably oh, so a movie. you're preaching now. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no. I'm just proposing that that you're right, and it's very. It, it just makes me sad because yeah, this yeah, is a real sure. problem that people are willing to acknowledge is a real problem. But when you try to demonstrate, well, here's what this is like. It, it, it's a hard sell because it makes them uncomfortable, and that's the thing. This movie is designed to make you uncomfortable, whether you end up liking the fact that it does that or not. If it makes people uncomfortable, language, violence. Uh, graffiti, giant dicks in the ceiling, you know, it, people are going to turn it off and they're going to say they're going to or they're going to write it off and say, well, this thing was bullcrap because it's got X, Y and Z in it. Or the fact that they did that undermines the credibility. So I don't know. It's just a shame because I do think, in my opinion, one of the things it does better is demonstrate the, the condition of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And there is a need for education for what people who maybe either don't recognize they have it or don't understand it because they haven't experienced it. There's a huge need for that out there. But. I am preaching. Thank you. Okay. Um, Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about Bo's mom. So eventually we learn that his mom has actually been watching him and is very likely responsible for every incident that has happened to him throughout the film, further breaking down both Bo's sense of freedom and his reality. Now, even that, premise is somewhat squishy. We were trying before the podcast, we were talking about like, was this all a dream or was she actually alive the whole time? And so I just want to turn to you all. I mean, how does the reveal about the fate of Bo's mom reshape its sense of reality? Laurent, I'll start with you. Yeah, it definitely questions everything you watched before, you know, because I'm very much, you know, as, as I'm riding on this wave for in a really long wave, um, I imagined once we got to the house, like the, the journey is that he's going to get to his mom and then we're going to have a revelation of some sort in that space. And we do, but we also don't, you know, in that, in the, in the final act, I feel like um, in that moment, then again, it does, it makes me wonder, did he ever leave his house? You know, like, does he, is he still sitting there like, imagining every scenario that could happen if he, you know, goes a step further. Like we really don't 
we don't know because everything has something that's a little off kilter, you know, in every chapter of this story that, you know, yeah, it's up to interpretation. This is his mind. We're in the psychology of him, you know, his his psyche. So um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I think that, it, I think it's actually, it makes it more interesting for me at that point. That's the part of it, the movie that I do love is not knowing what was real and what wasn't real. Because um, then it it makes those individual moments a lot more interesting to mine through. It's just that when I when we look at the objective of the film, that's where I feel like there's a void here. I don't know that it's saying anything. It's exposing anxiety because I didn't. Because I think the previous question was, did you, you know, did how does it, you know, um, note his anxiety? I feel like it. Um, it doesn't say much about it. It, but it does, I did feel a lot, you know, I felt a lot of it. So, but did I learn it? Did I learn anything about it? That's the problem. And that's the issue I have. And, I, and maybe it's there. And like I said, maybe you're not going to get that on one viewing or maybe it, it's devoid of that altogether. But that's the struggle I'm having with it because I think it's very effective at, exp at, at you know, um, it's showing what anxiety is like, but not saying what to do about it, you know? And if, and if you don't, if you're not telling me what to do about it or not at least giving me something to roll with after this, then I'm like, yeah, I know what anxiety is like. I live with it. Thanks. So what, what else, you know, I got the medication for it. So that's the thing. It's just, I don't, I, that's the aspect of it where I, I, I want to say that this film has merit. I just don't know what that is. And mm -hmm. so. But you think that the fact that Bo's mom is air quotes alive is weird enough to have you begging the reality of the entire film. I, a, wanted, a, a value I, I wanted it to be real so that this character who'd been through hell, you know, could have some closure. It could have some, you know, whatever, you know, even if it wasn't like all tight and neat, you know, like at least like, okay, we, I came here and now I know what I need to do and it's going to take a while. And at some point, I'm going to come to a place of healing. I just don't think it by the end of this movie, there's any healing. It's just kind of misery porn, you know, by the time you get to the end. It's a good one. And that's, that's how I feel about the whole project. It's misery porn. It's effective, but it's, it's still, you know, um, there's, I don't come away with it with anything to, you know, anything to, to, yeah, I don't know. Um, to mine through about it's about its overall objective. So, mm -hmm. Daniel, what, I mean, what did you make of uh, the reveal about Bo's mom? Yeah, it it started to make me wonder if it, even though I I loved like the the character as far as the performance is concerned, and who, oh who yeah, Patty LuPone is fantastic LeBone, yes. in the role. I thought great. I, I felt, but yeah, yeah, I agree, and I and I I wouldn't want to miss that, but I began to wonder if it matters if. Bo's mother really is alive because everything that evokes an action out of Bo, it's a fear that fear is associated strongly with his mother. But it's like every scene, it's like the only thing that gets Bo from point A to point B in any given instance is that fear that 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 the fact that he is afraid continues to to animate them. I mean, appropriately, but like, you know, it, it it's always just this like perpetual fear and because he is like enamored and just ensnared by that fear. And that is the only thing that really drags. And that's when we actually get the really explosive, you know, when, when his fear hits such a point that he can no longer bear the situation, be it the, the guy suspended above his bathtub, or he thinks he's going to die because he 
drank, he didn't take some medication with water or, um, you know, Jeeves is t- chasing him outside of the forest, which is a very, that's like a more legitimate fact. I mean, I would run from that, but I would run from everything. He kind of runs so, like, that's the thing, but it's like that fear is ultimately what, what truly is in control. And it really doesn't, to me, it started to feel like it doesn't matter if your mom is dead or alive, that, that specter that your mom has. I mean, she, she already mm. helicopter parented you enough to where you are caught in the propellers and you're losing limbs. And at that point, the only thing that does evoke you is that, is that, 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 that fear, that continued fear. And even in the final moments when he like, <laughs> she dies again, I guess in a in a roundabout way where she, um, he, he strangles her and she falls into that, like conveniently placed terrarium or whatever. <laughs> I can't tell if that was like a reptile habitat or something. Either way, she falls into this thing. She returns almost immediately. And like, it's, it, it, whether or not that really mattered, because even then he is still just afraid of his mother, even in her demise. And even in, it's just that specter. And I, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't know if her reveal of her being alive makes too much of a difference because ultimately Bo is, it's just that fear is so deep and so innate that there, there, there really isn't a difference whether or not she exists or not. Because, because he's just, the one that has to change. Yeah. He's the one that has to do something differently, whether she's mm-hmm. alive or not. You know, he has to go back home to himself. And so exactly that omnipresent, she's everywhere, you know, you know, he, it, it affects him just as much when she's not present mm-hmm. physically, you know? So yeah. His whole life's yeah. been built that way. We discover when he arrives at the house, you see kind of her wall of all the, her professional accomplishments yeah. were all based on, products that she designed to in one way or another protect Bo. Mm-hmm. And it appears, at least my hypothesis is everything in his his world, even in his apartment, all of it's constructed yeah. by her the emblems on everything. Like mm-hmm. the the microwave, the food he's eating, the t- the the what do you call it, the frozen dinner he has. It has the MW on it. It's like every she's everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. in his space. So when her because she was so protective uh, he was never able to develop the tools he needed to mature, to grow, to um, face conflict, to make decisions for himself. It's just it's one of those things where because of that, I, there, I don't think there is a reality. Whether she's alive or dead, there's not a reality where he's able to handle these things yeah. in a healthy manner. And because even when he air quotes overcomes his mom in this the strangling scene, he's lashing out in violence. Yeah. Right. Is that really a healthy way to deal with your parental issues, you know, to 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 lash out against your parents who you think failed you or manipulated you in where one way or another? Or, uh, James, is it, as you put it earlier, uh, more it's more of a, an unpacking process, removing these thoughts and replacing them with new, healthier thoughts. Um, the movie, def- that's the thing the movie, I think, is kind of missing on the like, w- what do you do in place of this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know, James, what did you make of the reveal about Bo's mom at the end being alive? Wait, did you all see, um, I think it came out in 2012. It was a documentary uh, called The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. Yes. Zizek. Right? Yes, I did Zizek. not. And is Zizek? Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's just the only appropriate response to Zizek, right? It's yeah. just like, what is this little imp? Yeah, I've seen it. Um, <laughs> no. uh, so, I mean, that's, that's largely, right, how I watch film is, again, from that either ideological filter or, you know, um, psychoanalytic. I just can't, I can't help it. It just is what it's my training, I guess now. Um, but no, actually I think the, the, the medium 
ask for it because it's it's about voyeurism and looking, uh-huh. right? It just it is what it is. Um, so in that sense, especially after hearing you all talk, I'm not sure that anything in this film is um quote unquote the real. Like it's it's not reality. It's and I don't mean this like in that early, late 90s, early 2000s indie, like, goes oh, it all a dream sort of thing? But it just feels like this movie itself is an exploration of just the concept of anxiety and guilt, like mm. how they work. Mm. Probably more guilt. Yeah. And how that manifests yeah. as anxiety. The therapist literally writes that. That's what I mean. That's, that's, yeah. It's at the beginning of the film. Mm. The film opens this way. So I don't think anything weird, I'm not even sure, and I don't even think it matters whether or not it's real or not. But it just seems like it is ultimately a film that is about this a sort of, it's almost like, yeah, like a psychoanalytic exploration of like, you know, all of us, um, our parents shape our value system, right? And they are the product of the dominant kind of ideological um you know, stance of a particular society. And by that, I mean like capitalism or communism or socialism and choose your country. Right. Um, this is going to play out, uh, the institutions in a country, the media, the places of worship, the family, and still, even if they don't think of it as like indoctrination, they are passing down mm-hmm. right to mm-hmm. us. Um, the value system, and then also passing down their own, you know, uh, psychoses, right? They're at that very individual level. So all of that's right. operating on the child, right? And so, yeah, like whether or not she is alive and has is still alive and has this, she's surveying him, or you know, whether or not she literally was putting the names of the, you know, he she that he's eating. Uh, her products. I think the film is really just telling us like, yeah, this woman has influences. The family influences us. Right. Mm-hmm. And in this particular guy's instance, he seems to be of a wealthy class and uh, whether or not he's actually literally eating the family's products, like her money has made him right. It's mm-hmm. shaped his whole world. And he does not seem capable of unpacking any of that. Mm-hmm. Right. He is so, He's been coddled, right, mm. in this sort of way um, by that wealth. Um, yeah, that he's never f- had really agency because he can't even make decisions for himself. Yeah, and even – and it's a realistic fear, but I think of the opening scene too and like the moment he's born. Yeah. You hear his mother just like, is he breathing? Why isn't he crying? Why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he this? Why isn't basically exactly what I expected my birth to go and um, eventually does cry. But yeah, it's like that – immediate like the bow but the first thing we see of bow and it's his which it feels like it makes sense in that context of like a birth and a child being born but that her concern is a little more than just mm-hmm. you know it doesn't sound like a woman who's just given birth to be honest it sounds like someone who's like very like like she's already very her claws and yeah her yeah is already kind of yeah the, yeah the question i have sorry you're gonna say something no, good. Good no, the question i have because I, i'm willing to put this like psychoanalytic model onto this film for sure i it's, it's begging for it i mean yeah. there is a character called therapist right it's just right there <laughs> um 
What I think the question I, I can't quite answer, though, is I'm here for that critique, like mm-hmm. that ideological, you know, critique and uh, of the society and all these things. But like, I, I'm wondering, is it putting too much of that on the figure of the mother in our, I mean, this is set in America, the film scenes. Am I wrong? I don't know. Yes. I, yeah, I think it, so. We're not a matriarchal society. We are a patriarchal society. Mm, very like, much so. By law, we have been that. And right now we're living through such a backlash, right, in mm-hmm. terms of like, I mean, the the Roe versus Wade ruling, the, the abortion medication that, you know, it, this is like a, this is like a swing back to a version of feudalism that said that women were property and Mm -hmm. they can't own property, (laughs) you know, and they can't choose their own partners and these sorts of things. Like America's kind of heading in some very scary ways, right? That's the tension we're experiencing. So I, I, you know, we we were born out of patriarchy. The laws said in the country until 1921, white women were still property and black and brown people had to like fight that. And women until the 60s and yeah, McCurtain County down there being like, I sure do wish we could go back <laughs> and treat black people, you know, how we used to. I mean, that's not my words. That's that guy's words. So, so all that to say, like the fact that the movie expends so much of its energy or uh, that the 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 agency lacking force is this is personified within the mother figure. I just that's that's a hard, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow because this this that's not this country's experience. Yes, it is true, right? Like that, white women historically we know have sided with. Right. The patriarchy, we know that's true during the Civil War, even though the push for suffrage was there. We know that often the push for suffrage was at the expense of black and brown women by white women. We know that that's true in terms of lesbians and bisexual women. They, they would push back against them and their inclusion in the feminist movement in the first and second waves. So. Yeah, we we know white women's compl- complicity. We, the Tulsa race massacre is the story of white women's complicity in upholding a, a patriarchal white supremacist society. Mm-hmm. Um, I know all that. It's just this. Does this movie know all that? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and 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 where is it? I mean, again, I get it. It ultimately says I don't really have much to say about the father. Like, yeah. I get it. He's a dick. Like that's what it's, I guess is saying by having the giant dick upstairs. And and maybe that's the critique we need of capitalism and patriarchy, but ah, to spend so much time on the mom. Well, and this is where, you know, I am confident there are men who have been psychologically traumatized by their mothers. Oh, sure. Right. So, I don't want to say that like we shouldn't make a movie like it, there shouldn't be a movie made about it because it's that is an experience that I, I I'm confident is happening. Now, is that the experience you want to put your very expensive movie that's blasted out into the masses right now? Mm, that's a fair question. But I do think that there is probably um, yeah some personal history here. I, and uh, I think if Ari Aster was speaking a little bit more about his intention behind right. making this. Right. And he's not. He's he's very evasive and and about the the meaning behind the film and you just watch it and I I'm not giving any answers. And I think if this could be a very specific movie. This could be a very singular movie, you know, like this could be 
Ari Aster's childhood. There's going to be Ari Aster's, like, this is what my mother did to me, you know? And if he said that, then I could come off of it trying to, you know what I mean, extract so much meaning from everything and say that this was another person's experience and he's just telling us about it. But because he's being so, you know what I mean, um, elusive, you know, it makes it, 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 it makes it this mystifying thing where it's like, what are you saying about us or other people or society or whatever? And it, it, it you know, um, and he's not denouncing or, you know what I mean? It just, it does feel, as you said, if you, if it's not specific to him, it does feel very kind of, you know, kind of cringily misogynistic in the way that there's not a enough blame put on the other side of the pendulum here. Like if it was even like my parents did this to me, it is my mother did this to me. So are you saying this or are you saying that's just that's for you or is that? But maybe from, yeah. the, from the character of Bo, it is his mom. His dad was never around. And that's yeah. part of the. I mean, you could say right. that's part of. That's where again it just right. gets it just gets. It's a choice, dicey. Though. It is it's a, a choice. choice, though. That you made a deliberate choice to make this hinge on the sins of the mother, so to speak. You know, um, bleeding off into him in some capacity. So that's the thing. Is like, does it? Yeah, you know, did it affect him personally, or does he have something to say about? I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I, I I hear where you're coming from, and and I'm. Don't disagree, but I also don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, how many movies about daddy issues have been made about yeah. men and daddy issues? Literally, like since the beginning of cinema, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's fair to explore maternal trauma as well. It needs yeah. to be done with delicacy. And I think, again, you raise very valuable points about the context in which we're talking about them. And I do think a little more clarity in the intention probably would have helped. But then would we be talking about this movie for two hours if it was clear? Yeah. I don't know. But I could easily see this. Yeah. Being That's... taken, uh, misinterpreted by the wrong people and yeah. uh, used as a weapon of yeah. propaganda yeah. for men's rights activists. Definitely. Yeah. That's a possibility. Didn't that happen with Joaquin Phoenix's movie? I just, <laughs> no. As, yeah. you were, as you two were just talking, I'm just like, wing. Because, you know, sometimes one of the things you know, especially in film, we're really, you know, guilty of is um, we talk about the director in terms of the auteur and we forget to talk about the the star right, as the as kind of an auteur mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if auteur is the right word, but we forget that we can look a, across a actor's body of work to start looking for certain themes, right, to emerge. Yeah. And Joker, again, hate that film. <laughs> um, I think it has some incredibly problematic uh, representation of women and, and, and people of color. And so to see then this movie in terms of his of a choice for him to make that a follow-up film, I don't know. There's something weird. Uh, so it made me start thinking about the master. I'm like, well, what was going on in that? And I can't remember. It's gonna sound, this is going to sound really harsh. And I don't think Joaquin Phoenix, I think he's an incredibly talented actor. But in terms of like, and I didn't say it earlier, but basically what I'm trying to get at is the dude has really honed it on playing incels for the last 10 years. You know what I mean? Like, or incel adjacent characters. Yeah. People who are mentally unwell. There's pro Frequently they have some sort of sexual, um, uh, they've been traumatized 
um, and it has affected their their sexual psychology. Mm-hmm. And I think this is consistent in several of the movies, even her, which is a great movie, yeah. by the way. But that's that's a different aspect of it. And but that one's that one's definitely yeah. a much more positive. Love that. Film. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. But even in that movie, he's kind of exploring the ideas of what is a relationship, what is love, what is healthy, what is right, you know? So it is, I don't know what it means. No, that's, I hadn't even thought of her in that way. You're in a master. You're exactly right. But he is, I mean, but he is, you're right. He is kind of picking a lot of characters that kind of fall in that line of thought or that he's, he's clearly trying, Joaquin Phoenix is true. I feel like is clearly trying to work something out just like Ari Aster in this movie is trying to work something out. Yeah. And I feel like. Like, the thing about the exploration of that character type, I'm, I'm here for that. You know, going back to Zizhat documentary, he spends a lot of time on Taxi Driver, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. a, a, a wonderful film. <laughs> um, so I don't have a problem at all with the exploration of this type of character because this type of character is clearly, like, dominating, in fact. Um, we'll call it uh, Western civilization right now, like, in terms of, like, the school shootings, the... The, the you know the Norwegian bombing and stuff. I mean, like this is a type of guy we got it. This when, guy just leaked documents, <laughs> you know, on a Discord game thing. What in the world? I mean, that's who we're. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, it can, that sentence. By the way, <laughs> well, even, when even I'm thinking about like male loneliness, like the the recent studies that have come out about adult male loneliness being a real factor. That we, I mean, I, I my hypothesis has been there for a while. We just haven't really explored it. But there's been a lot of research done around. Male adults who are single who don't have a lot of friends. Yeah. You know? It, so, yes, that's a long way of saying there, that is a dominant group within our culture currently. So, I don't, again, explore all this. I still think my bottom line is three hours? <laughs> <laughs> three hours. Okay. All right. Well, we could talk about, I had an entire other section mapped out for the Oedipal, uh, the Oedipus complex. What? In this movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So I, I want to bring it back just to – I'm going to boil it down to one question because it really gets the heart of what uh, I wanted to talk about. And, you, James, you've already hit it on the head, which is the connection between guilt, control, sex, and maternal love. These are the, there's a, the movie is sort of – all of these things are connected. It's kind of a web, though. It's not like a straight line. Yeah. What is this trying to say about – the role sexuality plays with Bo and how he has, how he is, he acts or doesn't act mm-hmm. or his lack of ability to act. I'm just curious about the psychology of that. Cause I think at the core of it, it seems like his fear all stems from his mother mm-hmm. because she coddled him as you said earlier. And we haven't talked about the sex angle, which is where she literally told him when he was a kid, if he had sex or, or I don't, was it sex or released? It was an, orga- orgasm. an orgasm. So, yeah. so if he had a release, an orgasm, mm-hmm. he would die. So I'm just, I want to open up that can of worms as a final discussion point. Is it guilt, shame, control? Yeah. yeah. And guilt, uh, shame, guilt, control, and sex and the maternal love. I mean, his fear of intimacy is apparent i mean we get the relate was this is the character elaine um mm-hmm. that's the 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 parker posey character both iterations um you can just see like how like she's giving him an opportunity to you know obviously like i'm, I'm 
consent. You can do this. We can, and he is paralyzed by the idea of it. And it's because, again, of the way his mom has kind of perverted his perception of sex. Um, and when we finally get that <laughs> amazing sex scene between him and Parker Poe, that's probably my, twist. probably my favorite part of the movie, to be honest with you. When they played um, Mariah Carey to it, they soundtracked it to that, I said, okay, well, we're going here. <laughs> so, um, like, and then her, the mother's immediate reaction, the immediate thing that happened, he finally has release. He does release. And he actually, it seemed for a moment, it's the first time he sighed and the first time he felt pleasure or felt um, like all this time I've been waiting to just be able to let this go, what everything that I have. And then as soon as he does, he has to, re he's made to regret it because his mother shames him for the feeling and the sensation. Mm -hmm. And this is what you did in my bed. And this is what, you, you know, so he's not allowed to, you know what I mean, to, um, to feel that. You know, to feel those kinds of emotions, and so without there being a caveat, without there being a yeah, exactly that guilt, that that uh, that shame attached to it, and I think we can all relate to that, especially queer people. I think we can relate to that, the idea that you know your thoughts are impure, or or if you're in religious settings, you know, you're, the things that come natural, you know, for you, are you're being told are are, are things that. You know, we're not allowed. Yeah, to yeah, and, and I, I mean, just from a, from a straight person's perspective, the closest yeah. relationship I can have with that is the, the uh, Christian the setting, which, which is if you if you release, you're sin. Basically, if you release, you are sinning against uh -huh. God and women yeah. and your yeah. body. Yeah, it's weird, Daniel. Yeah, and it's almost like joy or whatever could bring him joy or or even just like a mild comfort. It's always bookended with like, because I experience this comfort or because I experience joy, there is a negative consequence. And it's that, that shame for my mother. And I think it's very telling that in the, the sequence and I'll, you know, it's because we are in the spoiler section now. So basically what happens is he finally has sex with this woman. He's envisioned even in the act of sex. He's like very passive. Like she, mm -hmm. she kind of has to assume the control. So again, he's still very etherized and displayed, but um, he's at least present. Um, but then, you know, he orgasms and it's fine. He's not dead. And he's like baffled. And like, part of it is there's this like momentary sense of relief. Like I didn't die. And then it's like mm -hmm. the reverse is basically true is like, they continue to have sex for a moment. And then Elaine, this character, she is like instantly rigor mortis or something and mm -hmm. is dead and stiff. And then that's when his mother comes out. Right. Like that's the first time we see the mother is, when she, his mother is when she, yeah, it's basically after the reveal of, of her being bed. alive. And it's an immediate, like you are shame. And you know what? Like this lie that you couldn't have sex and that, or you couldn't orgasm. And that's what was going to kill you. Like that was me just protecting you from the real truth. And it was like that, just that mm. continue. What's worse than what the curse that I already apparently have, mm -hmm. you know, something that killed someone else. Yes. Yeah. And then it's also that it's just like there, there is no, nothing he can do, no moment of even like having a good time. And that's the thing is in this film makes a point is we don't see any pleasure and we don't, and even the, the things that would make Bo feel whole when we get that dream sequence out with the, the community, I care not remember the name of the like group, the theater group that they orphans the, in the woods, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And when he finally has that moment and he has that, there's that, that semi animated sequence and everything like that. And there are moments of him 
feeling joy and feeling purpose and feeling fulfilled. But then, yeah, because of that one lie, because of his inability to have sex, even the one fantasy we're really awarded, uh, the one true fantasy, I think, that we're awarded um, and get to see, you know. And have some agency. Yeah, some try agency. And engage and, and do something or try. And you say, and we say Pursue agency. something. Exactly. But it's yeah. funny that that entire sequence is being like dictated to him and being narrated. Like mm-hmm. the, 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 the woman who's in, you know, orchestrating the place like and has that. The, the angel, I guess she's like portraying an angel or something. And she's, you know, telling me you'll go on to do this and then you'll go on to do this and then you'll do that. And he's just following that verbatim. It really isn't his, it's, it's not true. even like it's his true. fantasy, but it, but it, but, but it goes it, through I the motions. He, he, right? want, he wants that though. It sounds yeah. pretty appealing, right? Because at it the does. end of it, he has the, the great joy of being reunited with his three sons. That something he, that, that he's he, longed yeah, for. But he, that he, he then, re, he then realizes sex. that, yeah. yeah, he, but yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, but Incapable of having sex or, or uh, to, to, you know, arguably too afraid, but he's got this, this basically this lie that he's internalized that, um, understandably that like, it's, you know, it's, it's impossible for him to have those. And I, I think that's very telling that like so much of <laughs> what he wants is just like shut down what we get to see that he wants. Cause I question what, what does, what does Bo want, but to not be terrified, I guess it's, it's kind of that. And that seems like such a base level, like that, that minimal security, even though he has the the most security really, because he's from a really affluent family and ultimately everything is sustained by his mother in this way, which again, I don't like feels a little weird um, to what you mentioned earlier, Laron, without Aster elaborating one of these few moments where I think that might help. Um, often I'm like directors, filmmakers, they need to like, don't, don't tell me what you want me to take from it. Cause I don't care. And I feel like the few interviews I've had with directors when I was dumb enough to ask that question was not, uh, received super well. So I think I've learned better now, but at the same time, it's just, yeah, it, it's all because he cannot have sex or cannot you know, feel comfortable in getting that release. And even though when he does, you know, the film still takes an opportunity to be like, well, it's playing to like, this is the worst case scenario. And this is bad. And, and I don't know. It's, it's, it, it just, I guess plays back into his fear too, at the same time that he's just so yeah. just afraid and paralyzed by it, that there is no joy. There is no real life for you, Bo, because it's, and that's partially why I have yeah. issues with the ending. Cause that moment when you're in this space and you said going into back to the subconscious or the, I saw that cabin as like, he was going into his mother, like in back into the womb or back mm-hmm. into the, and maybe that's too, maybe I'm reaching, but, um, mm-hmm. but whenever we're there, um, and you have this cathedral, this stadium or everyone's just, you know, like, passively watching him i didn't like that interpretation because i thought he was it it felt to me and maybe again i'm reaching but i felt like it's that we the audience were in the audience right guilting him or shaming him and i personally i didn't like that ari was was making us like uh, like participants in that process when really i pity him it's like he just assumes we were going to feel a certain way about this character. And I mean that just by how it's framed, you know, essentially because we we're looming over him in that same space. So it feels like he's 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 made us contribute to that process. And I, I, I didn't feel like I was one of those audience members. I had hoped that he would find whatever he was looking for or whatever he needed, you know, to get over this, you know, like and we don't really get that resolution. And so that's why I say I don't know what the the overarching objective is, is we know how he feels, but are we supposed to feel 
bad for him? Are we supposed to? Are we supposed? Well, yeah, and the the, the crimes he was, uh, th- they were you know accusing, accusing him of, of or even like you didn't tell this one guy no enough. You're greedy, and I was like, I yeah, yeah, it just and it was a guy that was staged, so yeah. the whole thing was right. Was so it's like bizarre. so how much of it? Yeah, yeah, like what and like the for the therapist, like I mentioned earlier, that you you know writes down the word guilty, and that for whatever reason that resonated with me for a little bit because. Initially, I thought, because he asked him the question, do you wish your mother were de- was dead? And he's afraid. Oh, of course not. Of course not. He was like, do you feel guilty? You know, he says no, but the therapist writes down the word guilty. And I saw it as him saying, like, he does feel guilty. So I'm writing it down. Like, he clearly feels guilty about this. So let's pin that for later. But upon deeper reflection, I feel like he was saying you're guilty, you know, like he was he was accusing him of being guilty because by the time we get to the end, that's all the movie's saying about him. Like you're to blame for all of these things uh, because there's no one speaking on his behalf, not Bo especially. He's not speaking up for himself. So there's no one in this film that's 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 coming to his aid, including himself. So I, that's what I don't know at the end. Like, are we supposed to feel bad for this guy? Or is Ari asking us to shame him, that participate in the shaming of Bo at the end? Because we get no closure and it ends with him not getting anything he wants. He's drowning. In, yeah, but in to your point, own, to your in point, his own though, subconscious. Yeah. yeah, but he doesn't really, that's the thing to your point, though. He doesn't really even know what he wants. He wants to be free, but I don't think he himself knows what that looks like because mm. he's, he's being so conditioned uh, throughout his entire life and not equipped that the best hope he can have is if he were to go in the real world without his mom, he'd probably drown under the boat. I don't know. That's a leap. I'm trying to make sense yeah. of the boat. It's just like, such a bleak, it, it, I guess yeah. it's, just a, it's just a nihilistic, like bleak reality. And, and I'm fine with that. But if he's saying something about what that means. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Um, James, what did you make of, of all the, these, these connections? So you're, you're looking at um, guilt, shame, control, um, sex and this kind of this connection all the leads back to his mom and the way she parented him. I mean, what do you make of the, the kind of the sexual element, especially just, these are the keywords I type into Pornhub every night. I'm just like, shame. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at porn. That's the, that's the moral Don't of the story. Don't release <laughs> control. Uh, I mean, again, I, I just keep going back to that. I'm <laughs> I don't even like G-Shack. But and I just keep going back to that documentary. I just think in these ways, the film is, right, like um, trying to demonstrate for us how, again, in a society, um, whatever the, the the kind of ideology is, is going to shape the values. And that includes the sexual um, values, right? And I think that it's funny you mentioned Psycho earlier, but yeah, just this, you know, because that's that's the thing, you know, where Mrs. Bates is like, no, I tell you no, you know, like these cheap erotic thrills, these sorts of things, right? Um, and we get the sense that like when he's a child, I love that exploration in Psycho of Norman's bedroom that Lila undertakes. And she sees like a Roika and all this sort of stuff and the, the sad bunny. And so we get the idea that when Norman is a child, the mother has explained to him probably very similarly to the mother and, and Bo um, that, you know, sex is bad. Masturbation, right, is bad. Um, and we haven't even gotten to like the queer, you know, whether or not, you know, non-heteronormative, you know, 
uh, sexualities are uh, possible um, in Psycho, just as that example. Um, but yeah, I think the, the Venn diagram overlap between Mrs. Bates and Bo's mother are, are kind of there. And so I think the way I've understood ideology and sexuality kind of intertwine with one another is that the parents, right, uh, tell the child what they can and cannot enjoy uh, pleasurably, um, right? So that's that's the control part. And the, the shame and guilt, right, can happen in terms of like however the authority figure for the child, their guardian responds to like when they start masturbating, for instance, do they guide them? Like, okay, all right, look, like, here's a book. <laughs> like read this, it's normal, it's healthy, this is what it goes through. Or does someone say to that child, you know, like you are, you know, morally wrong for doing this. This is, this is bad. You know, this is Satan, you know, or don't spill your seed or, um, before marriage or any of these, what are, what is the guardian saying to them? And whatever they start saying to them that, right. Uh, the brain doesn't finish developing till 25. So that means this child who becomes an adult from age 25 onward is going to carry it's in the synapses. It's like a record player, uh -huh. the synapses, right? The, these experiences become grooved in. So, and I think that's how ideology works at the same time. Right. So I think that, and then if you don't, if, if the guardians are also not allowing the child to expose themselves to art, right. That is, um, giving these representations that are healthier in terms of sex, then they're not ever going to know, right, what a healthy, what intimacy is, what, you know, casual sex that's consensual is. Like, they're just not going to know any of that. So I think the film, again, I, I just almost just want to pull completely out and not read any of this literally, but to read the fact that the mother shows up when she does after the sex with Parker, um, that that's just pure we're in metaphor land like that. This mm. is what sex would be like with this guy. Cause he cannot be present for it. He's going to have his mother in his, in his head. So that's the control part. That's the shame part. That's the guilt part. That's the sexuality part. Something. Oh, the myth part. Uh, you didn't say myth, but I started thinking myth, that whole storytelling part. I realized listening to you all earlier, the middle section right in the woods. Um, it, that's myth. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that. And that's, again, what we do in societies. We tell uh, we use storytelling to explain to our child. This is why we do what we do. And and in your American dream, in our country's case, that's what Bo is hearing. Like, you will do this. You will do that. It's this. But then there's just this moment where the fantasy breaks, where it's like, no, actually, you don't <laughs> you don't fit it. Like, that's the moment mm -hmm. where there's like a rupture. Um, that I find really interesting that, that it, it's almost like that is where I'll give Ari some intelligence. I almost get the impression that in that moment he is explaining to us that that's where the moment of like rupture and anxiety can happen for, for us. And maybe even the possibility of moving out of fantasy, the society's dominant stuff and becoming your own. Like, no, no, no. The, the myths they're telling you are not, don't do it. Like, don't follow that. But our poor Bo can't. He's so... <laughs> gone so i don't know i mm, i think that's what's happening yeah i i don't have a lot to, to add to what you all have said um 
the biggest thing that stuck out to me is uh, Parker Posey. Well, there's a couple different just elements, and I'm trying to figure out how they fit into the puzzle. Uh, you talked earlier about the value systems of the parents being passed down to the children. You spent a lot of time talking about that. And I get the sense it's never clear that his, his mom is, is clearly passing on some form of trauma to him. And that includes, based on just the visual storytelling, she has some sort of weird sexual um connection i don't want it wasn't a sexual relationship but you guys noticed the scene on the boat yeah he was sleeping with that her proximity and yeah. she was in like sexy pajamas you know like that's you know it's it's oh, a uh, yeah you know it's, i mean the subtext it, it's it, there. so there's it, it seems that the, i mean you have to kind of read into it but the, the thing is that she likely has had a failed relationship maybe her, her maybe hit maybe he is a giant dick in the attic mm-hmm. uh that she murdered and left him in the attic maybe the uh, it's also implied that his dad is still alive by that one guy at the play um maybe it's a guy who just moved on broke her heart and she didn't know what to do with the baby, so she latched on. So it feels like there's a little bit of that that's been passed down. She's got some weird sexual stuff she's working out, doesn't know how to handle it, doubles down because she's already, in one way, for one reason or another, lost someone that she probably cared about, uh, let seemingly Bo's dad. So she's overprotective and overcompensating um, on Bo. So I don't know. There's a lot of stuff you have to kind of project and read between the lines on. I don't like that I have to do that. But there's something there. There's a lot of subtext with the mom having some sort of attraction to Bo. Yeah. And I'm not sure what to make of that 100%. The other thing is just uh, more as an yes and the psychological conditioning to, to Bo that you guys have talked about, the Parker Posey character. I noticed that uh, whenever he first saw her on the, the the stream, the internet, when he turned on, opened the computer, he vomited. And I mean, probably for a variety of reasons, but that's the thing. It's that sexual repression. You know, he hasn't, he doesn't know how to process feelings of attraction. He's probably got a lot of a guilt. I mean, he's got that photo he's carried around because he's literally been saving. Like this woman is supposed to be his savior, but also potentially the Grim Reaper at the same time. She's like, why you know? did you wait? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I love her so much. She uh, looks so shoot. good too. I was like, oh yeah. I don't know. She's aged very well. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. <laughs> but, but I also saw Bo's mom. Like she was like, "I will be everything for you." Yes, because you 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 can have nothing else. If you need, if that's what you need, if you need you need someone to talk to you or be the, a sexual surrogate and of sorts. Maybe not going all the way, but you know what I mean. But even if using that kind of language around him, you know, like I know you're developing feelings and what have you, and you know what I mean. So she's perverting i mean you know what i mean like in that line that weird middle ground between that you know and that's why everything for him is so you know well the world's a scary place i will protect you from all of them by being all the things all the things my version of the things you think you need you think you need yeah 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 Yeah. i don't know there's a lot there a lot there i think you guys said it a lot better than me frankly but um I think we are about out of time. Otherwise, we'll, you know, I've talked the length of this movie um, on the podcast. Uh, All that said, uh, well, guys, I'm going to wrap us up. Is there anything else you would like to say about Bo is Afraid before we close out today's conversation? Anything random we missed? Oh, this, the stabby naked man. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. The birthday stabber. Oh, and the hand. Oh. Yes. Ah! That was unsettling. So good. Very that part's unsettling. all good. Yeah. 
Uh, I frankly liked it when Jeeves lit himself up with a machine gun. After <laughs> it, it was just, again, a little bit of physical humor, you know, um, yeah. it, and then somehow was still alive to stab the giant dick monster later. I don't know. Yes. But yeah. then the giant dick monster stabs back because it cares about Bo and it wants to protect him. Bo's and got a twin brother. The... Bo's got a, we even mentioned <laughs> apparently Bo's, I have no idea what the hell to make of that. And that wasn't played portrayed I... by uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I was, that surprised me that his, uh, older twin brother in the attic was not walking is on him oh okay. no okay. It's somebody who looks it, a lot i like assumed him. it was me too yeah weird don't know what to make of that yeah. just uh maybe on the second viewing if i ever bring myself to, <laughs> to revisit it all right gentlemen well thank you so much for talking about this extremely um impressive and not impressive in a good way but as in it made a strong impression on us enough yeah. that we talk about it Bo is afraid james cooper thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to sit down and talk with us uh, for a couple of hours where can people follow you and all the great things you're doing in the community and online they can on instagram at james kc and that's for spelled out like the preposition <laughs> and then uh same on facebook and uh if you ever need any official city council business ward two at okc.gov all right Daniel Bokemper, you can find me here on the cinematropolis.com. Uh, keep an eye out for an Ari Aster piece, a short retrospect. It'll be live by the time people work. are listening. Yeah, absolutely. So keep an eye out for that. But also uh, more recently, to, or well, just as recently, uh, flickattack.com. I have a review of Evil Dead Rise and Bo is Afraid uh, there as well. So check them out. Also, my review of Ennisman, which was when you were talking about James uh, Memoria. Is that the mm -hmm. film? Ennisman, it started to, I haven't seen Memoria, so I, I don't have an opinion on it fully, but I'm going to go see it. But uh, what you described started to remind me of Ennisman mm. quite a bit. Really enjoyed it. So check out that review as well. Yeah. Excellent. Laron Chapman? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook under my name, Laron Chapman, or if you want to follow my reviews on Letterboxd. Um, I don't know why you would, but if you did, um, it's under black underscore Cinna underscore man. Laurent, they'd follow you because you have great thoughtful things about just come feeding on. for come on. attention. You, yes. you need the followers. For, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> your reviews are great. I love I love your little box reviews. You can uh, follow all the things we're doing at the Cinematropolis over at thecinematropolis.com, including more of these podcasts. Uh, if this is the first one you're tuning in for, we recently did a couple of double headers. We did a uh, Dungeons and Dragons versus Super Mario Brothers uh, double header, and we also recent most recently did a Renfield and uh, Evil Dead Rise double header. Um, so you can check those out cinematropolis.com or under the cinematic schematic, wherever your podcasts are found. You can also follow me uh, tweeting about uh, a lot of the movies I see. Um, also the television shows I'm watching mostly yellow jackets or, or um, succession right now. What about Barry and Barry? Okay. Yeah. I haven't tweeted about Barry yet though, but Ooh, Barry okay. Oklahoma zone, Bill Hader. Damn. That guy can direct. He's also good. Enbo is afraid. <laughs> very briefly completely forgot, about, forgot that. about that holy cow what a not, cameo does not show his face but he is in it no he kind of i mean he kind of shows his face he, you see like the yeah you see his profile <laughs> a little bit but yeah. <laughs> that was great that was a great moment uh thank you so much for joining us everyone uh we'll catch you again next time <laughs>